Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. And we ask you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or NationalReview.com. Listen and leave reviews there. It helps others find the show, of course, and we like to hear your feedback as well. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Scott, I don't know. I don't, Scott, listen, the stress of this is it's getting to me. Listen, I'm going to make an executive decision, Scott. We have, we have to cancel this episode. We can't release it. <laughs> well, can we use it? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to re-record it from scratch, from the bottom up. Except we're not allowed to use microphones. We're going to use tin cans and string. <laughs> Don't worry. I've, I've already drained my pool. We can record at the bottom of it. How long do we have to complete this this time? Uh, we're, we're a year and a half. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. Uh, 40 years, in fact. Uh, yeah, eventually. Uh, at Esoteric CD on Twitter for Jeff. And uh, since this is, as you well know, since you've clicked on this episode, part two of our two-part series on The Beach Boys. We welcome in our guest from part one once again for part two. He is the former editor-in-chief and current editor-at-large at Reason Magazine, co-host of the Fifth Column podcast, and that is at uh, Twitter, at WeTheFifth, or WeTheFifth.com, at Matt Welch on Twitter for him. He's Matt Welch. Matt, thank you for coming back. Uh, I couldn't not be. I never learned not to come back to this part. <laughs> never learned not to love <laughs> of the episode. This is where the Beach Boys get super weird. Yes, and that was in fact exactly how I was going to introduce this episode. So, uh, as as you guys know, hopefully, if you've been listening, you know, the first part of the the uh, the two part series, we we took the Beach Boys story up through Pet Sounds, and this is this is where things get to turning into a bit of an odd scene um <clears throat> i guess the the way we should start is by setting the scene up as it existed back in 1966 so what happens pet sounds you know uh, brian's masterpiece brian wilson's masterpiece works on it beach boys sing their hearts out on it it's, it's truly uh, one of the great albums i think in, in popular music history it comes out and pache matt i know you said yet yeah, last time we did this that no no that's a myth pet sounds wasn't a commercial flop but i'm, I'm telling you relative to <laughs> the expectations that the that the band had for the record the expectations that the label had to the record uh and also the, their prior performance in the charts yeah pet sounds was a huge commercial disappointment um, um, so was this the end for the Beach Boys? Was this the moment where they ceased being relevant? Well, you know, ironically enough, actually, there are people out there who kind of think that that is the case because a lot of their big hits, um, you know, came in the earlier era and, and, and you know, the, for, the, for a very long period of time. They didn't have a lot of chart success. But no, as Matt pointed out, this is the era where things got really great and really weird and in fact this is the episode of the beach boys that i've been waiting to do for years now because i'm i i am about to turn you all on to some of the strangest music that you heard from a major rock group in a very long time but not only that one of the craziest stories to ever come from a rock group you want drugs you got drugs you want mass murder we got mass murder we have all sorts of crazy things going on with the beach boys in the second half of their career including mike love being a complete 
dickhead at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction <laughs> ceremony. Boy, this just couldn't get more entertaining. But the place we have to start is with the one remaining commercial bullet that Brian Wilson had left to fire. And what is that? Well, it's nothing less than a song that he had already been working on during the latter phases of the Pet Sound sessions. Uh, and he was doing something a little different than he had been doing with all the other songs that he'd recorded for that album. All the other songs on Pet Song Sounds were songs. They were written as pieces from start to finish. Here's a song. It's got a melody. It's got a chorus. It's got a verse. It's got, um, you know, some sort of middle eight or guitar solo. Um, but instead of that, what Brian was now experimenting with was this interesting new thing. Basically, the idea of feels. That's what he called them. He called them feels. Uh, modular ideas, like little, like, you know, bits and bops cool sounds cool song cool melodic fragments that the idea being that he, he he would record them or you know like demo them work on them in several different ways and then assemble them from those component parts into some sort of pocket symphony and the first evidence of that on record and in fact actually because the the next album didn't end up coming out for a very long time the last evidence mm-hmm. of it in the beach boys official discography that you would hear is nothing more than a little ditty known as Good Vibrations, their last number one hit single until the sad and gloomy reality that is Kokomo. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 20 years later, 22 years later. Oh, dear. Um, But I'm going to kick it over to either Matt or Scott to talk about Good Vibrations. This is, for many people, the culmination of the Beach Boys art, their, their true released masterpiece. I don't know if I would go that far, but, I mean, who the hell can deny it? it you know, uh, I, I'm still picking up these Good Vibrations. As a California boy, uh, Good Vibrations was all, all around. I probably really first experienced the song because uh, it was the theme song to uh, uh, Sun-Kissed Orange Soda. Yeah. For a really long time, every single commercial would have this on the uh, the I think the incredible success of Good Vibrations is that, yes, it's this modular pocket symphony with all these incredibly uh, uh, complicated parts. It was the most expensive single ever recorded. It took them something like nine months. They might have spent a half a million dollars in today's money. Uh, just insane. You know, it was a half a million dollars in 1960. In, yeah, a trillion like, dollars. God only knows what it is now, right? I think right. That's, yeah, that is a billion something. Uh, so, uh, yes, that is all true. And yet it's absolutely not required because it is so good and because it's it's so edited well together. It's not required to have a music appreciation like theory uh, right. for this. It actually kind of sounds sort of normal for a completely weird avant-garde uh, song. Um, that is, I think, it's true genius. I would pause it and this might even be a, a, a way to think about this uh, episode. There's three basic productive artistic periods in the Beach Boys uh, uh, career, I would say. Uh, One is the first kind of, you know, fun, 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 get around, all that business. The reason why, you know, they're the 4th of July and what are you, a communist? You don't like the Beach Boys? There's that. (laughs) Uh, There is the Pet Sounds middle, uh, you know, period orchestral pop at its finest. uh, Boom. And then there's the period that we're going to be talking mostly about today, um, the kind of 1967 to 1973 really really kind of weird uh especially vocal arrangements sometimes very up in the mic like this and and different kind of sounds and all this this song good vibrations uh, the parts that it knits together has almost perfect examples of each of the three think about the way that the song starts right that sound just a little uh isolated organ and that little 
sound. That is classic Pet Sounds era Beach Boys. If you if there's someone out there uh, doing a Beach Boys knockoff song, it's going to have that bass sound and that guitar sound for sure. And also the drums when it kicks in, mm-hmm. those sort of timpanis. That is that mid. That's the Pet Sounds era uh, 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 Beach Boys. Then the chorus is absolutely perfect i get around beach boys i'm big enough including uh, uh the the brian wilson trick of you just have the same chorus that just changes keys constantly and you, you uh, uh add new vocals that comes into it right. but it sounds totally perfect surf and then just at the end when we're starting to go to the this is starting to get to sort of the more weird and trippy 67 to 73 Beach Boys. Unlike a lot of the things on the Smile Project uh, that uh, are, are to come afterwards, um, it was knitted together in a way that felt seamless. Uh, and I think that became a difficult thing for Brian Wilson to try to replicate as his own brain was kind of falling apart. Fantastic song. And Matt's point that it it should seem strange to us, but it doesn't there are so many different parts and pieces uh put together in good vibrations and it's a number one song and everyone loves it and everyone knows it and no one gives it a second thought that it is really strange and unusual when you start to break it down all the different pieces how they play together how the key changes work uh that that real hard edit from the chorus right into the second verse uh the the part where everything drops out you've got just the shakers and, and mike love doing his bass uh, bass voice it's a it's a it's a highly unusual song and yet it works so perfectly together that we do not give it a second thought and that's the that is that is the genius of good vibrations there are so I, many go ahead i was just going to also say like you know mike love a punching bag that he is uh jerk that he is he doesn't get a lot of credit for uh, some of the, the successes for the beach boys that he deserves and i think he deserves no greater credit than on this song that is the best lyric yes. he ever wrote that opening line you know what is I, I love the colorful clothes she wears and and the way the sunlight plays upon her hair i hear the sound of a gentle word on the wind that lifts her perfume through the air i don't know did van dyke parks write a better lyric than that <laughs> on smile i'm not sure I love the colorful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle word On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm backing up couple there are a couple that make that that are that are pretty good on that album but no i think that's just that's sublime and think about not even stupid it's just sublime right and think about what he does in that opening lyric which is different from the original lyric love love change these lyrics that actually talk about in a bit on brian wilson's smile he reverts back to the original lyrics but you know in that that opening verse you have you have sight sound and smell in essentially three or four lines of of um 
uh, of lyric and love fits it all in there before you get to the vibrations part kind of the uh, um, uh, the the uh, the intangible portion of the attraction but first you have the sight the sound the smell uh, of the of the attraction to the girl it's a really fine set of lyrics and you can't imagine this song without love's deep bass throughout especially in the uh, in the chorus when again it's his lyric the good vibrations and excitations that's, that's that's those are mike love's lyrics you've got the theremin in this again that part with the the, the shaker the, the maraca and at the very very end which is kind of a throwback to um what we talked about last episode where these new things are being introduced in the very tail end of the song you have these these cellos right these sawing cellos uh lifting the song to its conclusion which uh, remind me a lot of what you know jeff lynn and elo would do years in the future from here with with their use of, of cellos and instruments in electric light orchestra songs uh it's three and a half minutes it always seems like it should be longer to me again because i think you know what i think there's seven if you count them up probably seven distinct kind of sections of good vibrations and, and and Matt made a perfect analogy too. There's there's that part that just sounds just like I get around. Uh, so it's this this amalgamation of so many things that had come in the past, and yet we wouldn't hear much of it anymore in the future from the Beach Boys. Gotta keep those Let's also remember this is coming out in September of uh, 1966, if I'm not mistaken. Pet Sounds was in May. Um, Summer of Love, which kind of, you know, the, the way the sunlight plays upon her hair, that sounds pretty hippie, Summer of Love. That's next summer. That's right. nine months from now. <laughs> um, so all of these songs that are trying to cash in on the hippie thing. Um, this <clears throat> sort of predicts it uh, uh, much more. Uh, think about, you know, the, the Beatles and the Stones are about to come out with, afterwards, uh, Sgt. Pepper's uh, and Satanic Majesty's Request. So they're following the Beach Boys right now. Yes, the Beatles came out with a revolver, which is a pretty good record. Um, but right now, the combination, the one-two punch of pet sounds and good vibrations is not just we're leading pop music, but also we are uh, as uh, in the middle of the sort of pop and rock culture, which becomes this big irony because over the next uh, couple of years, Specifically in 1967, when the Summer of Love is happening, uh, the Beach Boys get absolutely crapped on uh, by the counterculture and by rock music and by Jimmy freaking Hendrix, uh, who I kind of oh, will yeah. never really I've never forgiven this. him for that. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> that that comment, oh man, I, yeah, I love everyone loves Jimmy, but man, that still ticks me off. Um, but you know, the other thing about about 
the the place that they put themselves in by putting out pet sounds and then good vibrations is that now the hype has built to like truly you know diamond formation levels. I don't think you could get any more like bone crushingly like I mean Leonard Bernstein came down to like observe Brian Wilson as he was composing in the studio because he's like, well here is a here is a pop musician who understands the formal beauties of classical music as well. And boy, you know, it, 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 it seemed like it was auspicious because what happened? Well, Brian had this idea in mind. He was going to make, you know, he, he thought, well, Pet Sounds, Pet Sounds was good. But, you know, of course, he's competing with the Beatles in his mind. You know, Revolver had just come out. Pet Sounds, in, in Brian Wilson's mind, was a response to Rubber Soul. Um, but then Revolver comes out and he's like, oh, man, well, geez, they, they've one-upped me. So I'm going to I'm going to beat them at their own game. So what does he do? He wants to do something truly um basically un, undone before or since, unmatched before or since in the annals of popular music at the time. He wants to write truly symphonic music, and he's now obsessed with this idea of uh, you know <clears throat> putting together various moods and feels. He's gone to almost a completely orchestral sound. Mm-hmm. The band isn't playing anymore. Uh, the, the actual Beach Boys, their voices are all over the upcoming music here, but they don't play a single instrument. This is the studio pros. This is Brian writing out sheet music. This is very complex material. And what is it called? It's something he's called smile is the name of it. And, and like the the media hype is building up. I mean, they even hired Derek Taylor, the former Beatles PR man to represent them and sort of like, you know, like, you know, get the word out to like various music magazines that, you know, Brian is working on something truly amazing. He went and he hired a guy, uh, a fellow named Van Dyke Parks, who I have very complicated feelings about uh, as his new lyricist. Van Dyke Parks is this very clever, very, um, almost self-impressively clever uh, lyricist uh, who has put out some of his own albums. I don't know if anybody listening is familiar with the album Song Cycle. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I'm really not actually a fan of a lot of Van Dyke Parks' music. And I also am not necessarily a fan of all of his lyrics on Smile, but he came up with an idea that was just truly ambitious. You know, instead of, you know, fun, fun, fun till the daddy takes the T-bird away, or even like, you know, I just wasn't made for these times, sort of, you know, you know emotionally, you know, adolescent music. Uh, what was the idea behind Smile? Well, it was going to be like so many different things. It was going to be a teenage symphony, symphony to God. It was going to be uh, a, a giant travelogue of Americana. It was going to have this like elements suite where air, fire, earth and water would all be represented in song form. It was going to have something about the life cycle of man from child to to adolescent, to, you know, adult, to death. It was going to try to encompass all of these things at once, simultaneously. Uh, and if, if you're listening to what I'm saying here and thinking, boy, Jesus, this sounds really complicated. <laughs> this sounds like, like maybe like there are too many irons in the fire. Well, guess what? You were right. Because <laughs> the chaos that is the smile sessions, and that leads to what is, I think, to this day, still the most famous and greatest, and I think actually objectively greatest, lost album ever in the history of popular music is truly something 
to to see. You know, again, we I mentioned Love and Mercy in the uh, the, the the film Love and Mercy in our first episode. Uh, you've really got to watch it again because it does such a great job of recreating some of the insanity that went on during these sessions, where uh, you know Brian Wilson is recording a song called Fire or Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. It's like about the Chicago fire, and he gets this really creepy sound out of it. It sounds like rather demonic, but you know he he wants them to all wear like fire hats, <laughs> like they're like fire and like plastic fire engine hats as they're playing and they're burning wood in the studio to create smoke so that people will feel like oh gosh things are on fire like the lsd is obviously playing a role in some (laughs) of the decisions being made here and of course this chaos as you might have predicted was almost doomed to fall apart uh and what it left us with is an album that was never released so i'm almost not even entirely sure how to tackle smile if if either of you two wants to start on it you know what, what what is your opening angle on the insanity and the strangeness and the weirdness that is you know, the great lost album i think of it as there's a piece in the new yorker uh, a couple of uh, months ago really great uh about a paleontologist but it begins with this extended uh examination on a uh a meteor that hit uh sometime around the uh in the Yucatan Peninsula that basically killed all the dinosaurs, uh, which I didn't realize. I'm not following these paleontology that closely or the prehistory of man that closely, but it was... Yes, it's the, it's the Chishula uh, meteor that hit in the Yucatan Peninsula at the end of the Cretaceous. I'm a nerd, sorry. Yes, right, and <laughs> it's fascinating stuff, but like uh, that... Uh, had so many impacts uh, on and still does on on the earth that we live in. But and you still will see uh, in the middle of places that have nothing to do with it, you will see chunks of the of the meteorite. You will see there's a there's a, a kind of a fossil record. So smile comes down the recording of it, the idea of it, um, its its place within the Beach Boys career is like a meteor that no one saw. It's the it's the Siberian fireball of 1905 or whatever that was, right? So like everyone's heard of it. Uh, there's stories that come about it and the next eight years nine years of of the beach boys discography is giving out little dribs and drabs of it right uh they 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 end a lot of their records with like okay we've made a lot of weird music we're gonna throw (laughs) cabin essence at the end of this one see what you think about it there uh and it it feels like this this alien species uh coming down in these records so it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around because it does affect their discography going forward but as we will talk about in the smiley smile uh era they also react from it. They run screening from it and go into the other direction. Right. Uh, my feeling about Smile, I probably listened to the uh, the Brian Wilson Smile uh, a lot more than the Smile Sessions, uh, even though you know you don't have the loveliness of the full uh, Beach Boys uh, vocals with it. I think it's a case where the sum is less than the parts. Um, and this is just my own personal taste in that I don't need to hear a bunch of cantina stuff thrown in the middle of heroes and villains. I don't like the fragmentary call and response nature. I don't uh, necessarily like a couple of the elements that they keep giving back to, including this rock, 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 roll over. I don't care about it. Well, wait, um, wait, but, 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 but you're really, you're really here for Brian Wilson singing about what great shape he's in, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of, but like the, our prayer, which it starts with, is one of the most absolutely haunting, like, here is a person and the band that's around him have used their vocals to tap into God. That is what that is. There's nothing like it. When I started going to church about five years ago, first time in my life, 
Um, I and they have a really good like uh, singers and vocal performers. I I'm still disappointed that I walk in there and it's not our prayer every time as we walk in. Like it's supposed to be that beautiful. The highs of this thing are insane. Surf's Up is the the song is one of the uh, most crazy, beautiful, uh, again, just tapping into some kind of higher thing uh, that you will ever see. Um, But there's also the valleys in this. And for me, the whole thing doesn't necessarily hang together. It's an it's it's an absolute monument to the possibilities of what the best of pop and vocal music can be. It's so difficult to um, talk about talk about the smile and smile sessions um, like it was for me to talk about uh, Pet Sounds last time because the, so much of it is in the production. So much of it is in how Brian had this vision and tried to, to pull it off. And then, of course, so much is, is, is how do you define what this album actually is? Uh, down the road, you know, Brian Wilson does his own version and sequences it, sequences it as he wishes. Uh, the Smile Sessions, about a decade later, a little less than a decade later, would, uh, uh, would use the original parts, but the same sequence that Brian used in 2004. So, so how do you, how do you evaluate? I, I think you know Jeff talked a lot about the making of this. In, in addition to all those things that Brian was trying to do, you know the way that, that this is recorded, right? I mean, Smile they weren't running through songs. It wasn't a, you know take one, take two, take twelve on uh, on uh, Deal Like Worms. All these things were recorded in 10, 15, 30 second little pieces that then would have to be cobbled together and pieced together uh, by Brian as producer. Uh, and it, it just was, it's difficult to imagine these songs being played live, and yet that they were many, many years later. Brian would do the whole the whole album uh, live, his version of the album live. Uh, you know, the, the theme that I think travels through best in its final version or close to final version is that idea of, of a travelogue, right? There's still a lot of those elements that are inside. The beginning, at least as it's sequenced on the, the sessions, our prayer to G, to heroes and villains, and, and do you like worms? That's a, just a gorgeous start to the album. Um, and vocally, they're still in, in extremely fine form. Uh, these songs will pop up later, as Matt alluded to. Camet Essence on here is great. It's great when we hear it later. Surf's Up is legendary. It, it will be later when we hear it once again. Um, you know, there are little pieces that I like a lot. Uh, Look, the song for children, I, I, I like a lot. Wind chimes. Wind chimes sounds almost like a challenge to me because the vocals are buried a bit during the, the, the verses. Uh, the chimes, the xylophones are up front, uh, the, the wind chimes that the song is about. And then you have this, this massive, huge chorus-like segment in, in, inside there, too. 
it all works pretty well. Dude, wind chimes is the sound of a man mentally breaking down before your eyes. That's mm. the thing about that song. Wind chimes, you know, hanging down from my window. Those are my wind chimes. And it's like, doom, 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 doom. And he, he, it's like you can hear them like quietly tinkling in the background. And then these giant choral vocals come in. And But they're going to record this to even more disturbing effect on the next album. Um, but it, it, it's, it's like literally the sound of Brian Wilson's terrible tenuous grasp to reality shredding rope by rope (laughs) you see see them uh, you see unspooling as it goes through that song it's it's a great piece of music but it's also like pretty freaky because it's like like, oh yeah this is a guy who's just really out on an ocean sid barrett style on a bad trip those kind of moments uh, in, in forthcoming albums too but yeah Wind Shines is one of them uh, you, you have all sorts of things here the, the big experimental pieces you have these small little fragments that that's that kind of uh, hold the songs together as, as, a, as a full idea um, by and large I, I don't even think I've listened to enough of Smile to fully uh, appreciate exactly what the what the goal was what Brian was trying to accomplish there's all these little nooks and crannies and repeating motifs and themes through the album it's a it's a it's a heck of a thing to listen to i think that uh, uh it you, you'll never get a closure on that answer right um, yeah uh on on some level i think this is a band that is synonymous with the west uh and their big theme uh is california it's the frontier it's the ocean um what to do about that so this is all kind of about westward expansion um and you will see in later records they start to get very uh, ambivalent and negative towards it here they're kind of still um up in the air about it i think i think uh, uh brian wilson and van dyke parks are trying to put their own um sense of uh, musicality uh in the service of hey we're going to uh kind of both uh uh be of and completely out of the moment and talk about where this all fits in kind of the american story uh and it's kind of hard to do when two things are happening one you're absolutely having a mental breakdown and taking way too many drugs (laughs) and two you're recording in this fragmentary uh way so it's hard to keep track of even if you weren't had it all together in the middle of it all 
There are uh, individual songs and melodies and harmonies that are just stunning little compositions. Wonderful. Uh, I know it's a big, uh, oh, Jeff's, yeah. Jeff's a huge fan of, of that song, uh, as I, am I. What a simple, perfect little melody and song. And one of the tragedies of this being a lost record is that uh, it, these songs didn't get out uh, in a similar way that they deserve just on their own like this one song is great heroes and villains which is the motif that runs throughout um the the whole smile and which is on the next record as well uh we'll probably talk about it more there um uh, is itself a great although very very complicated uh song and it, and it's it's almost a a shame uh that it gets locked in all of this and even some of the complete throwaway bits um like vegetables like you're not really sitting around going to be singing about vegetables <laughs> are you dude uh and but yet I, I it is one of those the, I, I love the idea that brian wilson who's like you know you know rather obese yeah like living in his bedroom uh composing in a sandbox you know it suddenly is oh i'm on a health kick I, i'm gonna be around my vegetables was it i i, I I'm going to eat well my vegetables, cart off cart and off sell and my, <laughs> my vegetables. And sure. The, the, the acrobatics of the vocal arrangement behind it is just insane. All of that effort put into like a truly silly song, a beautifully silly song. You know, uh, I, I tried to kick the ball, but my tanny flew right off. I'm red as a beat because I'm so embarrassed. And then they go eat a lot, sleep a lot, brush them like crazy. By the way, why do you brush your vegetables? I, maybe they're brushing their teeth. I don't I think know. They're brushing their teeth. The thing is, uh, you know, the vocal arrangements on the smile sessions are probably, I'm not a probably, I think they're certainly by far the most complex in the entire history of the band. The stuff that they're doing on Heroes and Villains, the stuff that they're doing on Cabin Essence, the stuff that they're doing on Vegetables um, is just insane. It's it's stuff that is beyond the powers of 99.99% of human beings to sing those incredibly complicated runs in harmony and those those bits those moments and, and to get like the sforzandos correctly it's just it's a it's a 
master class in vocal harmony and put to the service of uh yeah you know uh you know you know scrubbing and, and chomping your vegetables uh and you know you know and they literally even munch carrots as percussion in the background of the song. <laughs> uh that it's it, it's crack genius i'm sorry to interrupt that but i just vegetables is one of the weirdest and greatest you know in its own bizarre way beach boy songs to ever exist not not even uh, an, an interruption uh, in this uh, in this uh, case at all heroes and villains um and the version that comes out as the single on the next record smiley smile i think is close enough to the version here um mm-hmm. even though i think it's a re-recording of it um that we can uh Sort of talk a little bit uh, about it here. So I, this might sound a little bit Brian Wilsony, but I, um, I experience uh, vocal harmonies visually. Um, so to, to give it a, an example, like at the end of God Only Knows, when there's three different lines, I can completely see an interlocking kind of like a, a triangle made out of spirals, rainbow spirals. Don't don't question me. This is totally normal. It's fine. Um, Heroes and villains. The vocal harmonies on that is the weirdest visual I've ever had of thinking about or experiencing uh, vocal harmonies. It, it is. It's like a weird. Uh, ancient dadaist viking ship where the 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 wood is interlocking together in ways that they're using vocals as a percussion instrument in addition to everything else they're way up close to the mic and intimate and they're far away and and uh broad chorusy there is nothing nothing like that i mean we you talk about sometimes oh you know uh no other band could do x um like i think i might have even said last time no other band could do god only knows well that's not true i you know god only knows is a beautiful beautiful uh, melody and harmony and maybe it would have been pretty hard for most anybody who's not paul mccartney to do that song um but heroes and villains ain't nobody <laughs> on this planet uh probably who could have c- come up with that series of vocals and harmonies and slowdowns and startups and percussions and ups and downs it is crazy <laughs> It is crazy, uh, and it's a, it's a remarkable achievement that um, not exactly the same way that, that Good Vibrations is seamless. Uh, Heroes and Villains is not seamless, um, but uh, but it still is comprehensible as its own thing. Uh, it's it, it, it's bananas. And for Brian Wilson's troubles, uh, he got it dismissed by Jimi Hendrix uh, on one of those like you know blind listening tests that they they put UK musicians through um, in in the trade papers back in the day. As what was the what was the phrase that Jimi used? He called it psychedelic barbershop. Yeah, 
and he dismissed it. He's like, yeah. And then, of course, he wrote that line about, yeah, yeah, you'll never have to hear surf music again on Third Stone from the Sun. Uh, sorry, Jimmy. You know, you had, you had, you had so much to recommend you. You're a great artist, but you were wrong. You were wrong about the Beach Boys. I want to hear Psychedelic Barbershop forever. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Psychedelic Barbershop. I'll, I'll say this. My thoughts about Smile, you guys have covered so much at this ground already, so I won't repeat your thoughts. I think the first thing you have to understand is, of course, most of these pieces, and their pieces are not songs. There are very few actual, like, fully composed songs on Smile. There are three of them, in fact, to my mind. Uh, one of them, of course, is uh, Wonderful. One of them is uh, Cabinescence, which would, of course, come out on 2020. And then the last, of course, is Surf's Up. Wonderful, um, as Matt already mentioned, I, I consider to be the single greatest melody that Brian Wilson ever wrote. And if not the single best lyric that Van Dyke Parks ever wrote, certainly, at least with the Beach Boys, then close. Uh, for once, you know, a lot of the problems that I have with Parks' uh, lyrics on, on this album and on his own stuff is that it's way too cutesy, it's way too self-impressed, it's way too like, you know, here I'm going to throw in a bunch of puns and rebuses and, you know, yeah, like, yes, um, I'm rearranging the, the, the lyrics and these lines and you have to figure out after the fact what it was I meant. And it's, it's like game playing. It, it doesn't really have an immediate emotional effect it, it's more like you know something that you you sit there and you look at the page and you're like oh i see what he was going for there ha 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 i'm a clever man and i'm not really a huge fan of that style um but on a song like wonderful it's just so direct it's a song about a girl a uh, girl growing up with her family where is she she she's you know, maybe in the Midwest, she's in, maybe she's in America. It doesn't even matter where she is. But she's growing up. She's coming of age. She leaves the safety of the family. She goes out into the wild world. She meets a boy, falls in love, loses her virginity, you know, and eventually uh, going through all of that, then she comes back. And there's that, that final line, which I just love so much, which is she'll return in love with her liberty, but never known as a non-believer. She'll smile and thank God for one, one, one wonderful. And then, of course, the, you know, Al and, uh, you know, uh, Brian in the background are going one, 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 one. And it, it's so delicate and so pretty. And that melody is just so perfect to convey the delicacy of that sentiment. It could be so so kind of almost cringeworthy if it was handled in, in in anything in any other way but because of the beauty of the melody which doesn't even need the chords out in the smile version it's just brian basically playing a harpsichord with a, a bass behind him very minimal instrumentation relative to the rest of the album uh, but it could be sung a cappella and it still works because you don't need anything other than the melody itself to understand how beautiful it is it, it explains itself as it moves through all those various modulations Thank God for 
Cabinescence, of course, is the big fracture point in the sessions, I think, uh, where Mike Love, you know, of course, you know, the Beach Boys out on the road, <clears throat> they come back in, they see all this crazy crap being done by the band. And then, then Van Dyke Parks comes and it's like, OK, uh, uh, here, here's the thing. Here's the lyric that I want you to sing over and over. The crow cries uncover the cornfield and <laughs> Over and over, uh, what, what, what's what's uh, with that last part? It, where over and over the crow cries and cover the cornfield. Over and over the thresher and hover the wheat field. And Mike Love very justifiably said to Van Dyke Parks, he "says What the hell does this mean? What what is this lyric about? What does this even mean?" Uh, and, and Van Dyke Parks, being the sort of shy, retiring, non-confrontational type that he is, said, like, I don't know what it means. Uh, I don't know. And he just, like, walked out of the sessions at that point. Apparently, his confidence had been shot. But and, he, and he, by the way, is also, like, 22 years old this right. time. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, of course, what you realize later is that he was just being cute. The original lyric had been over and over. The crow cries hover the wheat field. And then over and over the thresher uncovers the cornfield. That makes sense. Okay. Crows flying overhead, threshers, you know, like, you know, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Uh, but he just switched them. He switched the, the ending lines for each of those, those, those in the couplet uh, because maybe it sounded better or it was like a cutesy little trick to play, um, which kind of gets to the heart of my problem with Parks and maybe the problem that the rest of the Peach Boys had with him is like you're being needlessly obscurantist. But I will give this to Mike Love. He may not have liked that line. Uh, he's saying the <laughs> out of it <laughs> it's a great song and then you have this like violent fuzz bass playing behind him mm-hmm. as and 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 then the rest of the group is doing these these giant runs up and down the scales with the harmonies behind him it's just amazing stuff and uh it's it's a fantastic song that doesn't necessarily have to make rational sense because it feels like it's pure americana he even like talks about like you know songs of the grange and i'll give you a home on the range you know it feels you know what's more american than this I guess the last one I'm going to talk about is uh, Surf's Up. Uh, This whole scattershot, posy style that Van Dyke Parks is so fond of, I don't think it always worked, but if it it ever worked, it absolutely worked on this song, which is the best thing he ever wrote. And uh, boy, is it the best thing that Brian Wilson ever wrote? It's certainly close. Uh, I I don't know what other people get out of Surf's Up, but I'll tell you what I get out of it. I, I get up, you know, uh, visions of like <clears throat> civilization in decline 
you know, the you know, Western decadence, you know, all these people. I mean, the, the percussion track is, is literally people rattling jewelry. If you listen, it's like shunk, 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 shunk. It's actually like, you know, Hal Blaine and the other percussionists in the, in the wrecking crew, like rattling stones to make a sound instead of playing drums. And that's why it begins with a diamond necklace played the pawn and handsome drummed along. Oh, to a handsome man in baton. And then you, you had that vision of a blind class aristocracy back through the opera glass you see the pit and the pendulum drawn it's like this vision of sort of like you know oh, everyone's dressed up in their regal finery they're all going to the opera but it's a civilization in decline and then it is that great line which i think other people don't get but it makes so much sense to me columnated ruins domino and i always thought of this in the sense of like the parthenon you see the ruins of the parthenon it's just these pillars standing up and you just imagine them all like tumbling over like one knocks the over down the other one down boom 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 and it, it almost feels like it's the fall of the west it's the fall of sort of like you know our you know our 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 brilliant illusions about you know our refined civilization the diamond necklace played the pawn and a handsome drum to to a handsome man at the top Back through the opera glass You see the pit and the pendulum Taken me, dim chandelier awaken me to a song dissolved in the dark. The music hall, the costly bow, the music all is lost for now to a muted trumpeter's swan. And then it all comes back at the end of it to this beautiful, beautiful moment where it's just Brian alone at a piano singing about, you know, I heard the word, wonderful thing, a children's song. And then the other guys come and sing child is the father to the man. And it's like the rebirth of mankind, the rebirth of civilization, seen through the lens of the death of one civilization to the birth of another. Now, how pretentious is that? It's real pretentious. It's certainly pretentious for the Beach Boys, which is, again, why I'm so glad they called it Surf's Up. Because, <laughs> yeah, surfing's music, this is not. This is not Surf and Safari. Um, and it should have been the ending of the album, and it's not. It's not even on the, uh, on the, the 2004 Brian Wilson smile. Uh, then they keep going on and you know they, they ended it with good vibrations um but that to me was the climax of the whole smile like period the smile style and 
I understand in retrospect why it never probably could have come out because they never had a plan for it. They never had any way of really assembling all these mm-hmm. pieces, deciding what to discard. But it, it's such a masterpiece for those moments alone uh, that I'm, I'm glad that it's no longer a lost album. You know, it, it, we, we now have Brian Wilson's version, which is, by the way, amazing. You would think that it would be a disaster for Brian Wilson, famously with mental problems and drug issues, and his voice has gotten hoarse and all that he, instead of like releasing smile what does he do he's like i'm going to just re-record the whole thing from scratch i remember literally like shaking my head and going oh god no in 2004 when i heard about this and then i heard the album and i was blown away i really do recommend it to anybody interested in the beach boys it's absolutely worthy of being considered as part of the canon and it makes sense that they kind of reassembled the sessions the actual original 60 sessions in that form but it could never have been released in that form back then because it's too long it's it's three sides of an album that didn't have enough for four sides and had too much material for only two sides uh and so what happens you know he brian keeps blowing deadlines missing stuff and you know like you know gets gets spooked the drugs probably aren't helping either and what does he do you know the, the band has been working with him working on this crazy stuff that they, they they basically have you know thrown their lot in it's like we may not know what you're doing necessarily brian but whatever you're the boss you're a leader you've led us through all this great music we're gonna we're gonna trust you and then he just completely abdicates he says no <laughs> Uh, I can't finish the album. Uh, in fact, not only can I not finish the album, but we can't release any of it. We yeah, can't do can't any of this. Can't use it. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, genuine dick move. Uh, <laughs> 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 genuine dick move on Brian's part. And uh, you would not have blamed the band. You would have forgiven them for just breaking up at that point. They hadn't put out an album in a year. The summer of love is happening. The musical scene is exploding around them. Technological advancements. Everything is happening. They're nowhere to be found. They're missing in action. And then Brian cans their big moment. And what are they left doing they're holding the bag and they have to go record this sort of recovery record and they call it smiley smile and boy this is one of the most controversial albums in the entire beach boys discography carl wilson famously described it as a bunt instead of a grand slam but i kind of like it i don't know what you guys think about this one what do you think about smiley smile the weird lo-fi alternative to smile i see it as a uh, as uh, a complete that there's just the this the break it was a, a a psychological break it was a recording break it was uh, a break in the way that the band uh goes forth beginning with smiley smile uh we get to a more um uh, democratized version of the band still aren't totally there we'll get there in a couple records uh but where there's more production uh, uh, responsibilities doled out to the various other members, particularly Carl, who is the kind of a stand in for Brian. Also, Brian can't really do a whole lot very well. They're recording at his house. We're done with the wrecking crew for the most part. They'll make occasional appearances here. So we go from doing the most ambitious uh, set of, of recordings in pop history and it might not ever really fully be topped in terms of the utter ambitiousness of the recording process and the the way that the songs are being written and assembled we go from that which ends in famous failure uh and i'm sure all kinds of of uh, legal problems for the band to um brian saying okay um let's record in the bottom of my pool let's go (laughs) to the pool in the sandbox uh i got this junky old piano 
uh, which is going to make some really good records. And here, here, Dennis, Dennis, I want you to blow into this water jug. All right. <laughs> and uh, and they put together this incredibly interesting uh, uh really kind of series of three lo-fi albums before lo-fi was a thing. Um, and I think one of the reasons why all of these records were greeted with kind of alarm and shrugs largely at the time, uh, the, the that's just a head-snapping change and included on Smiley Smile. And I think kind of unfortunately, but it makes it an interesting document, are re-recordings of several of the Smile records. Mm -hmm. First of all, you call it Smiley Smile. That's not <laughs> that's a weird thing to do when everyone's like, when's Smile coming out? When is Wait, Smile you're really out? drawing attention to your failure there, right? Yes. And you are holy crap, you are recording versions uh which the public doesn't know that there's a really nice version of Wonderful. <laughs> the public doesn't know that Wind Chimes is a pretty good, interesting pop song. What they hear on here uh, is a bad drug trip, and one of the one of the uh, oddities of this record is that uh, it's you know it's kind of urban legend. I think probably that uh, the record has been used to help people uh, while they're suffering from like bad LSD trips in mm -hmm. the past. For me, this record is like sonic evidence testimony for why Matt will never smoke pot again. Uh, <laughs> There, there's some bad juju on this thing. The wind chimes is terrifying. So they've replaced these huge vocals, stacking this and interlocking thing with now they're really up close on the mic and starting to trip you out. And they're like laughing in inappropriate <laughs> places. Uh, and it's like, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm, I'm, the, the flashback is going to be kicking in. My God, it's, it's uh, <laughs> this really freaky backing vocals. And then suddenly that giant discordant organ note. And you're like, yeah, man, it's not. It doesn't it's it doesn't feel Close right. Close your eyes and lean back. There's a lot of stuff on this I like. I, I've listened to Smiley Smile probably as much as I've listened to uh, uh, any single Beach Boys record that's not Pet Sounds just over the, over the years. I remember when I lived in uh, Central Europe for a long time that there's very few good record stores and you just go and would get anything with Beach Boys on it. So <laughs> I got a thousand of the lousiest Beach Boys compilations yeah. that were you know released in Holland and stuff. Um, but uh, Smiley Smile was one of them. Friends, some of these in this little 67 to 73 run were part of them. And I listened to them a lot because uh, you know th these songs aren't very well known. Again, you're not going to encounter them. Uh, you're not going to encounter a She's Going Bald in the Wild. <laughs> uh, uh, and some of them are great. That's where I first was introduced to Vegetables. And there's another song with me tonight which is basically the same it's on and on she go down be do it's a another vocal kind of thing and they're still in great voice yeah. really good voice um and so whenever they get together to do some kind of acapella psych, psych, psychedelic barbershop quartet i'm totally in there You're with me tonight, I know you're with me tonight 
Heroes and Villains, uh, again, the, the version is pretty similar uh, to what is on Smile. And it's a staggering song. And they release it. It goes to number 12. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, they're still kind of uh, in it. But uh, the, the, the the song that I would commend people listen to, not that it's the best at all. Um, uh, and, they, and Good Vibrations is also on here. It's sort of stuck in there, mm-hmm. I think, uh, controversially within the band, just because it, it, it was the most recent single that they'd had. So let's just throw it at the end. It doesn't belong on this record, I don't think at all, in the spirit of it. Um, uh, but uh, the She's Going Bald, which I mentioned before, it's a... Uh, it's, it's kind of a template for where the Beach Boys are going to be for the next seven years uh, off and on, which is to say they've got attention deficit disorder. Uh, they're going to start and stop in the middle of songs and suddenly, oh, let's just pitch shift our vocals. Like, <laughs> yeah! Like all, this great job. all of a sudden it gets into get a job in the middle of it for some reason. I have and, no idea why. And yet there are little snippets in there that are really catchy. <laughs> like, you'll, catchy you'll find yourself going oh that's pretty good outside your head like that's pretty good and uh this that's kind of what they sound like right now she drew a comb across her scalp and brushed what she had left i tried to salvage what i could and threw it in a sack she made a beeline to her room and grabbed all kind of juice she started pouring it on her head and thought it growing it back, back. Oh! you're too late mama enough upside you It's it's a bad trip record for me uh, in many senses, uh, but certainly interesting. And at least half of it, including uh, like the uh, the whistle in uh, instrumental, uh, they have sort of this vocal ominousness. Um, it's a uh, it's definitely an instrument interesting document and really one of the first and probably most influential kind of lo-fi records. If you go and listen to uh, Paul McCartney's early solo stuff, he's doing a lot of kind of navel gazing on the farm and people uh, were disappointed by that. I am absolutely positive. He was influenced Hmm. by this run of Beach Boys records and them just kind of doing it themselves and talking about whatever crap is in their sandbox at that moment. Uh, my my dad had Smiley Smile on record, and uh, I had one of the uh, bad, well, bad but prevalent Beach Boys compilations that uh, Matt mentioned, and it was, I don't know, 40 Greatest Hits or something. Heroes and Villains was one of the few uh, songs from the later era of the Beach Boys on that compilation, and I was always very drawn to it, despite the fact that it was not like Good Vibrations, and that and that those those pieces were very blunt. They, they, they did not segue very well. Heroes and Villains it sounds like different pieces that have been placed together very, very skillfully. I mean, it still sounds good, but it, it does not flow as nicely as Good Vibrations does. So I'm kind of predisposed to kind of like this one a little bit. I, I, don't, I don't love it. I don't come back to it incredibly often. Uh, the, the instrumental tracks are pretty bare i'm not sure how much i love those kind of noises and the laughter on some of the tracks which is mad mentioned would kind of um carry forward with some future works as well but there's some great moments obviously heroes and villains and good vibrations i really like with me tonight it's just kind of like this fragment this beautiful fragment um 
and, and those backing vocals behind Carl are really pretty. Um, getting hungry is 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 kind of an anomaly on the album in terms of sound. It would kind of point a little bit toward Wild Honey, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's it's a Love Wilson uh, collaboration on this one. A more conventional chorus to it, but very sparse verses and this kind of echoing guitar chords leading from verse to to chorus. It's a nice way of putting a, that song together it's frighteningly underproduced and i mean that in the literal sense that like there's something frightening <laughs> and disturbing <laughs> about like you know and when you you know it's like and i like in the court in the verses and i'm just like where's the rest of the band and then it goes into that really loud and kind of discordantly chunky um you know organ mm-hmm. getting hungry for my kind of woman it's just like again like are these people who just literally their entire breakfast lunch and dinner is mushrooms right because <laughs> they've clearly got to be tripping balls to do this and no actually they weren't Well, okay, uh, if you didn't like Smiley Smile, uh, well, good luck for you, because a mere two months later, they released their next album. They literally started recording this the day before Smiley Smile was officially released in September of 1967. Uh, clearly, it, it, to me at least, it, it's the same kind of thing that Bob Dylan did. But, you know, He released Self-Portrait, and everybody was just like, what is this crap? Uh, and then he immediately came out with New Morning to sort of clear the air. So like, yeah, by the way, and I was just kidding. I actually, I, I still have artistic ambition. Um, and Wild Honey is the forgotten Beach Boys classic. I um, I've long been known and will say again today that I am a fanatic for this record. I think this is an A plus level record. I think this is almost as good as Summer Days and Summer Nights, Beach Boys Today, Pet Sounds even. I love Wild Honey. It's 24 minutes. Every song is two minutes long and change or less. There isn't a single thing on it, a single second on it that I would remove. And I think it didn't even get to 100 in the charts. It just completely sank without a trace because this is the moment where the Beach Boys were completely passed up by the, the culture, the prevailing musical culture of the time, and, and were turned into afterthoughts. Probably Smiley Smile made people think like, ah, well, you know, they're just not trying to do these really you know, creative production numbers. Uh, and so well, what, what does the Beach Boys mean to me? Uh, what does it, what do they matter to me at all? And uh, it doesn't matter at all because they're not really like trying to keep up with the times. They made a mistake with Wild Honey. Wild Honey is, uh, I guess, as close to a soul album sure. as you're going to get from the Beach Boys until mm-hmm. maybe Holland or something like that in the late se- in the mid seventies. Um, but 
God, I love every second of it. I love the fact that Carl Wilson is featured so prominently on this album. I love the fact that the detuned piano, this is the Brian Wilson sort of production recording trick that, that, that is most prominent on Wild Honey. He has this piano uh, that you know, where the bass notes are out of tune somewhat. So they're in tune, but they're, they're clearly not you know, resonating perfectly with the treble notes. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just what a piano sounds like if you play it in a sandbox. I don't have no idea. But it's just a brilliant little musical uh, uh, decision that gives all of these songs a very kind of unique soundscape to them. This is a very cleanly recorded album, even yeah. though it's yes. lo-fi. Uh, there isn't, there isn't like it's not badly produced at all. It's just minimally produced. There are things on this record that have no right to work. They do a cover of <clears throat> a recent Stevie Wonder hit, "I Was Made to Love Her." Everybody knows "I Was Made to Love Her," right? Classic Stevie Wonder song. If you're going to cover a Stevie Wonder song and you're the Beach Boys, why would you do something that's like still probably on the charts when you were recording it? I think they just did it because Carl Wilson wanted to sing the song, and it should fail. Because Carl Wilson is very notably not black, and, <laughs> you know, and and you know he has that his vocal is strained, right? You know he he does not have like the natural soul of Stevie Wonder, but he just somehow pulls it off through sheer commitment, the same way he pulls off the title track wild honey what a fantastic song with that oscillating synthesizer the and then carl was just shrieking at the top of his lungs is there isn't a bad song on this record every single moment is worth hearing and nobody knows it nobody knows a thing about wild honey and everybody should if you want to get a sense of that uh that era that that kind of sound because it permeates uh in other uh non-wild honey records uh, throughout here not necessarily the the stepped up uh, kind of soul rhythm and blues that they're doing, but just the combination of that weird honky tonk detuned piano and, um, and still the big vocals, although they're closer and more intimate hmm. and they're kind of more reflective. Um, and then also just, there's kind of, there, there's something ominous in the air. It's just the way the things kind of end, what things are left behind. You, you, you start a song kind of in the middle of it. Sometimes uh, the song country air, um, is that country air could have been on any one of basically the the eight records that they made between 67 and 73 um it just kind of sounds like that it's a very specific identifiable weird and great um sound on here
I would love this record without qualifications uh, if I didn't have uh, an aforementioned um, uh, kind of ceiling on my ability to take uh, Carl Wilson's rock and roll shrieking, squeaking <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the top of the scale. And you think this is one of the greatest singers in the history of pop music. Uh, you know, God only knows vocal is uh, all you need to know about that. Um, but he's squeaking up there. How she boogalooed it, which is the first song without Brian Wilson's songwriterly input ever. Uh, here, um, it's a pretty great song. Uh, it's like just a super good little boogie uh, 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 kind of record that has the great line S I C K I T Umi, never doesn't make me laugh. But he's still just squeaking up at the top there, so it's a it's a ceiling on my appreciation. But I think Jeff's absolutely right. There isn't a wrong uh, song on this. They are all really good, uh, including Let the Wind Blow. Which again, the uh, it, it has this kind of uh, ominous, and then that piano underneath it too. That the detuned piano, right? Yeah. You don't, yeah. It's you're like, okay, some. I know something bad's going to happen. You didn't know that it was going to be Charles Manson. You find that out later, but uh, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something a little bit off uh, about it. Uh, and the other one I'll just say is uh, uh, "Darlin." Um, is mm-hmm. a standout here. It's a production standout. It's a, it's a pretty lo-fi record. Um, it's just a, a tight little kind of, uh, you know, harmony band playing their own rock and roll rhythm and blues record for some reason. And it's, and it's really great, but Darlin is a big production. Um, uh, I'm always, uh, it's accurate to say that Brian Wilson uh, began uh, uh, withdrawing from the group. It became much more a democratic process. He was unreliable. He couldn't really come in to produce. He couldn't do this. Um, and, you know, this is widely portrayed if you're watching a movie about him as he's just sort of like fat in bed for 15 years. Um, and yet on all of these records, at some point, for the most part, uh, he will come in uh, and say, oh, yeah, I can still do this. Darlin is a song. I can still do this. It sounds like a conventional uh, a pop soul uh, song. Um, it's that which is great because it's totally not. I mean, the key changes of itself just in the uh, 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 in the basic uh, chorus and run up is uh, is is crazy and interesting. Um, but it's just a big, beautiful, fast, uh, very competent and complex pop song. He can still do it, and he does it there. And he also, you know, he's also getting into that phase where he's writing these these sort of autobiographical, like maybe like oversharing songs, where uh, <laughs> where he's like telling you about uh, this is what my life in bed is like, uh, and, and 
there are few that are better than that than I'd love just <laughs> once to see you. Where the little the song begins, like I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I'm walking the floor. I drink a little of this and I eat a little of that, and then I poke my head out the door. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is my boring daily routine. You know, everybody leaves me alone. I'm I'm here lost in my reverie. But it's just a beautiful song. It sounds beautiful, great. A beautiful acoustic, like you know, backing. You know, I get thinking I'm wasting the night away. Wouldn't mind if I could get with you right away. So beautiful and so effortless. And then, of course, it ends with the goofiest <laughs> pun that you would ever get from a Beach Boy song. I love just once to see you. I love just once to see you. I'd love just once to see you in the nude. And that is the song. <laughs> that is what it's about. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm a walk on the floor. I drink a little of this and eat a little that. And poke my head out the door. I get thinking I'm a wasting the night away. I wouldn't mind if I could get with you right away. Oh, honey, don't know how long it's been. But this feeling's building up inside again. I wash the dishes and I rinse up the sink like a busy bee. I make up a song as I'm working along. No one's watching me. I wish that you were here to help me dry. When's the last time you baked me a pie? You had a way of making it come alive. It's not too late for you to take a drive. And, uh, he also also has the the immortal line, and it's a question that I, I find myself asking a lot, which is, "When's the last time you made me a pie?" Uh, I think it's uh, it's important to uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, you know, you have to keep track of pie making. I I, I think that's like something that people don't keep enough tabs on. Scott, yeah, that, I, I do like that one. He washes the dishes, he rinses the sink, and then he makes up a song. And maybe it was this one. Uh, but I also like it too because it's Brian's voice unaccompanied. Um, and, and there's so many, uh, not to the, the detriment, of course, but there's so many harmonies, so many vocal stacks on these past albums. This is an opportunity to hear Brian's voice as it is. Uh, it certainly would change in the coming years and coming decade. But you hear it here. There's no, no chorus. There's no stack of harmonies. It's Brian's voice up in the mix singing about um, his life, a slice of life kind of song from Brian. Uh, I do like, I love to see you just once. Overall, I, you know, Wild Honey, I'd say is a very good, I don't know if I would call it a great album, but I do agree with both you guys that there really isn't a bum moment on here. I, it, it perhaps is their most consistent album of this era from front to back. You know, as more band members would begin to contribute and write songs like Bruce Johnston, the quality song to song on some of these albums are going to vary wildly. Uh, but while Honey, from start to finish, has a sense of uh, quality control to it that, that that isn't always there. And I like it about the uh, about the album. I'm glad uh, Jeff praised I Was Made to Love Her. I don't know how most Beach Boys fans feel about that song, but I like it an awful lot. Even with Carl's vocals on it, which I think is a pretty good Stevie Wonder um, facsimile. Um, what the wind blow, which which uh, which Matt mentioned, is mostly a love song, mostly a Mike love song. But those backing voice, uh, backing vocals that kind of go up and down the scale, and that rolling piano that you guys mentioned, just make it a really quality song.
I like the way the album ends with the it's Mama Says, but you know, it's that vocal chant from uh, Vegetables. Um, it's just fun to hear that, and I like the way that it closes the album. Certainly, Carl Wilson steps up here. He does a lot of lead vocals. The songs are, are cleaner. They're clearer. Uh, there's not as much group singing. There's not as many dense harmonies on these uh, songs. Uh, but again, most of them work um, pretty darn well. Um, and Darlin is is a great single. Um, didn't didn't reach the top of the charts, but um, outside of uh, the lyrics being a little hackneyed, right? They're gonna love you every night. I think you're out of sight, sort of thing. Um, but but the but the the instrumentation and the track is really solid. Horns and the boogie woogie piano. Um, it's a very good track. And Wild Honey again from start to finish, pretty consistent. Very very good. Not sure, great, but very good. Well, so what do we think about the Beach Boys waltz period? Okay, uh, of course I'm referring to Friends, uh, and then 2020 afterwards, uh, and I call it the waltz period because this is this is the era where it seems like the only thing that Brian Wilson wanted to do was write in three four time, you know, a boom dink dink a boom dink dink a boom dink dink a boom dink dink, and of course it's no more obvious than on the title track Friends. We've been friends for so many years, mm-hmm. but it's it's also on Busy Doing Nothing. It's also on Time to Get Alone. And I went to sleep from the late, from the next album. Uh, Be here in the morning is yeah. another one that's a waltz. It just seems like he was uh, kind of obsessed with that. And I think it, it, it almost psychologically makes sense, too, because it feels like it's a very peripatetic beat where you're just constantly pacing around back and forth, going in a circle over and over again. Uh, this is uh, the one that Brian has himself said uh, several times as well. This is another one that he considers to be one of his favorite albums. And then people uh, sort of roll their eyes at that. And they're like, why on earth would you choose? I mean, you have pet sounds. There's Smile. There's the Beach Boys today. Why are you saying that Friends is one of your favorite Beach Boys albums? I kind of get it. It's a very quiet, peaceful album, uh, except for the last song, which is flaming garbage. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, Transcendental Meditation. This is a song called Transcendental Meditation. It, you know, of course, is about meditating and, you know, kind of becoming one with the, the universe and, you know, tapping into Nirvana and all that. And it's just the most blaring discord music that you could imagine, especially from a group like the Beach Boys. Uh, but the rest of this album is just so quiet. Um, and it almost gets passed over by a lot of people in the Beach Boys discography. I think of their lo-fi trilogy, it's probably the least of the three of them. Yes. But I still think it's a, a pretty good album. And I also kind of, again, I like the sort of sort of un, un, unapologetically brusque lo-fi sensibility that they bring to it. Meant for You is the opening song. It's Mike Love singing it. Uh, this is a song that was already at, you know, an epically long, um, over self-indulgently lengthy one minute and 40 seconds when it was originally recorded. And then they decided, well, you know, that, that, that's, yeah, 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 that, that, that's too self-indulgent. So they cut a full minute out of it. And now it's just 40 seconds long. <laughs> and it's just, you know, just a very quick thing. As I sit and close my eyes, there's peace in my mind. And I'm hoping that you'll find it too. And these feelings in my heart, I know, are meant for you. These songs are, are the sound of a band that 
I was really content to do weird cameos. And I love the weird cameos. This is what I mean when I say the Beach Boys get weird in the late 60s and the early 70s. It's some of their most fascinating music because it feels so unselfconscious and unmediated um uh, what what do you guys think of friends and i guess the other thing i'll also point is what do you think about the emergence of dennis wilson as a songwriter because this is the first album where he puts out his own song and i think it's 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 a real it's a real piker i think starting from here is when uh dennis wilson becomes the most interesting contributor to the band um aside from brian wilson still uh, you know, coming in and dropping in uh, uh, wondrous madness uh, going forward. Uh, he has a little bird here and be still. Um, uh, in, in some ways, I like be still even more, which uh, is, again is one of these songs where you feel like you interrupted something when it started. Like, oh, did I walk in on you guys making the song? <laughs> uh, and it's just basically Brian Wilson playing a very, very slow organ and Dennis, who much unlike his very first vocal contribution to the Be- uh, Beach Boys back in the early days when he still had a, a full throat and he hadn't absolutely flame-torched it by sucking down Winston on filters or whatever the hell he was doing uh, to, uh, to wreck his vocal cords. Uh, now he's got this really expressive, kind of gruff, straining um, uh, Joe Cocker without the, the self-impressedness uh, kind of a way of, uh, of singing. And he's... Uh, and you can uh and, and he's just sort of touching his emotions very he's tapping into them very directly uh, uh and uh and arrestingly little bird is a um uh i think it's based on a poem it's just talking about a little bird and uh singing a song for him um and uh and it has a kind of a a, a bird sounding crazy falsetto uh, vocal as kind of the gimmick of na, 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 uh, doing that kind of thing. Uh, but this is this is the beginning of uh, of the uh, interesting Dennis Wilson. Where's my pretty bird? He must have flown away. If I keep singing, he'll come back someday. Don't still come. Guess I'll go. This is my favorite of the three low tri- uh, lo-fi trilogy uh, hmm. records. Um, the with the uh, the uh, the absolutely uh, awful uh, transcendental uh, meditation uh, accepted. I've I've now developed a theory uh, because we're not done. Sadly, with meditation as a to- <laughs> as a topic with the Beach Boys, uh, they uh, made the worst music of any band to be uh, influenced by the Maharishi and, uh, and transcendental uh, meditation. Uh, and I think uh, my theory, which is unsupported by the evidence, um, is that Brian Wilson did it on purpose because he always thought it was full of shit. Uh, basically, just, just to get back at Mike Love. Just to get back at Mike Love. <laughs> you 
like Mike Love uh, was mad and he was right to be mad about Brian Wilson doing all the drugs and uh, and kind of wrecking his uh, productive uh, mind and then falling in with whatever newcomer walks through the door, whether it's a Van Dyke Parks or uh, a new wife or, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Landy, uh, other people uh, that uh, there's a lot of truth to all that. But I think there is also a lot of truth that uh, Mike Love's uh, TMI stuff is uh, is garbage. And so I think this is Brian Wilson uh, sabotaging this. This record to me. When I was 19 years old, 18 even, freshman in college, I, uh, with a friend, hitchhiked uh, from Santa Barbara to Santa Cruz. Um, epic trip, and it ended up uh, with all, all kinds of tales of woe, but we sort of wash up in the morning uh, near the beach on the boardwalk in Santa Cruz, uh, blinking awake after a rainstorm, and there's a dude walking down the beach, in, and he's, you know, he's, he's hopelessly old, so he's probably about as old as I am now, uh, but, but he's like in his 60s or 70s. He's got a big, like, straw kind of cowboy hat with a feather, and he's walking around in an absolute thong. Uh, just more like a little little cup, a little banana hammock thing. And he's just strutting down the beach like this. And I made a mental note to myself at the time, which is like, when I'm in my 60s, in my 70s, that's going to be me. I'm just going to be walking around in a thong, putting on my straw hat. And I'm going to be stoned out of my mind. No responsibilities anymore. I'm just going to be crazy grandpa. Um, of course, I, my trajectory of my life is not going in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Saddened by that. But if I ever get to be Santa Cruz uh, banana hammock guy, uh, this is my record. It is a pastoral uh, Northern California, Central Coasts, tall grasses in the breeze uh, type of record. Um, when a man needs a woman, they they make things like you, my yes. son. Uh, just uh, be here in the morning, one of the waltzes. Just a sweet, sweet song. Uh, Wake the World has a really great chorus uh, yes. and it's yes. stupid like uh, the horn underneath there. <laughs> Uh, all of these, it's a what it's a it's a pastoral, small, uh, but very melodic and harmonic harmonic uh, record. And uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this: "Passing By." It's an instrumental there uh, that's just got some uh, some nice uh, sort of vocal sounds on it. Um, if you ever want to think about what would uh, the pet sounds sound like without any studio musicians, um, that's what that I think would sound like. Uh, it's, it it it. it calls to mind those other bigger productions but it has some of the same kind of values uh and uh, he still had a, a little bit yeah they'd be pretty good actually scott this is my least favorite of these three which is not to say it's bad but i do think that there is a uh, lightness to it and a slightness to it that that leaves me a little unfulfilled. Um, I mean, largely it's fine, and, and you do see some of the uh, the strange corners begin to poke out, right? In in Mike Love's songs, the Transcendental Meditation and Annalee the Healer, uh, I don't like either of them very much. Uh, Jeff mentioned Dennis's two songs, Little Bird and Be Still. He's beginning to write and would assert himself a little more future releases you know the brian songs are getting strange too uh when a man when a man needs a woman uh sex education from 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 the beach boys uh <laughs> as, as matt said they make things like you son um oh, and then man. later on busy doing nothing which is again uh, just kind of what brian's doing you it's get, it's it's, get, the, it's famous as the song where you get directions yes. to brian wilson's house you get directions <laughs> to brian's house set to a little bossa nova feel um and uh, if you knew where to start, you could get to Brian's house. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know where to start back there in 1968. Um, Listen, just drive for a couple miles. You'll see a sign and turn left. <laughs> <laughs> These songs are, are, you know, short songs, less than two minutes. There's a, there's some whimsy to a whole lot of them, too. 
Um, I, I just don't, I, I can't pick out any real true highlights or, or songs that I would say are among their very, very best on this album. It seems like they're trying things here and there. Again, Dennis gets his turn to, to write um, a couple of songs on here. Wake the World, as Matt mentioned, that might be the best part of the album. That chorus on Wake the World is really fantastic. Wake the world with a brand new morning. Say hello to another fine morning. Got my face in the running water. Making my life so much brighter now. Moon shines bright. Asleep in my bed. Like so many people got a big day ahead of me. Wake the world with a brand new morning. Again, by and large, it just feels a little light and slighted of these three. It's my it's my least favorite. Well, I mean, the the thing about this, and, and we're talking about karmic payback with the Maharishi. They actually t- went on tour. This is hilarious. They went on yeah. tour in 1968 with the Friends album with the Maharishi. That was the Maharishi was their opening act. Can you believe this? <laughs> it, it wasn't another band. It was the Maharishi just sitting there, cross-legged, you know, like you know, on a mat in in front of the stage, and, you know, saying, "Well, let, let's all become one with <laughs> the universe and try to like get like." A horde of rowdy kids to meditate and then of course everybody started getting assassinated because it was 1968 (laughs) so the tour had to be canceled they got millions of dollars in the hole i mean this is just this is one of the lowest points for the beach boys they 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 got massively in debt because of the canceled failed Mm -hmm. tour brian starts retreating he checks himself into a mental hospital at some point i believe in late 1968 he's really in a bad place and uh of course what's dennis wilson doing well you know dennis dennis is you know sort of you know the 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 lady killer of the band and you know he's he's driving home one day uh from the studio and what does he do he sees some 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 uh, hot little hippie chick uh, with her thumb up in the air on the side of the road uh, trying to hitchhike and he picks her up and he says hey why don't you come over to my place I'm Dennis Wilson and she's like well sure we'll do that so he takes her and her friend over to his house and uh, you know they stay there for the night couple of days everything's kind of really like casual in the you know the late California 60s you know <laughs> all, all the drugs and the loose morals and, and then Dennis comes back I think a, a day or two later from the studio uh, he left them there uh, to find a guy standing there uh, with a whole horde of other guys and girls uh, apparently they're all part of some little some little group that they're they're you know they're, they have that little gang that they're a part of and he says hey can we stay here too and dennis is like okay fine yeah you know i got nothing else going on and then the guy who's the leader of all these folks uh, says to Dennis, hey you know by the way i'm a songwriter I, I i've written a lot of songs can i play some of my songs to you he plays one of them to dennis uh in its uh song he calls cease to exist and dennis is like you know that's really good actually i'd like to record that and they make an arrangement where, where Dennis will, uh, you know, pay uh, the guy for the song, and then he'll get the songwriting credit. So Dennis didn't actually write it. He changed a few words in it. Uh, and then he ends up recording it uh, in a Beach Boys session. And that is how Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys ended up recording a song by crazed mass murderer Charles Manson. Life is your 
Yes. This is the moment where the Manson family enters the Beach Boys story. Dennis Wilson and Charlie Manson roommates. That was a thing. Mike Love actually has some hilarious stories about this, like where he once came over to Dennis's place to have dinner, and then Manson insisted that everybody eat in the nude, and, and Mike was just like, nope, 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 I'm out. <laughs> Not doing this. That's and, mostly because he wanted to keep his hat on. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> exactly. He didn't want to reveal the bald spot. That's what it was really about. But oh my god, can you believe it? The Beach Boys and Charles Manson, this was a thing that happened. I mean, we've oh. already we've already had, you know, total mental illness, psychological breakdowns, right. you know, fires breaking out while Bailed recording out. a song called Fire uh, and Elements, uh, it, the 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 productive uh, uh, part of their career. The the mass appeal is is pretty much gone uh, in this. And let's just throw some Charles Manson in. In, in fairness to Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys here, he was, yes, the most implicated in the uh, L.A. Uh, uh, rock and folk uh, scene, pop rock scene with Charles Manson, but he wasn't the only one, man. Uh, <laughs> they're just, there's, and, and Dennis is hardly the worst person uh, uh, by far. Uh, in a world that John Phillips still uh, yes! was, uh, was drawing breaths, there are maybe worse persons than Charles Charles Manson, <laughs> in that case, the mamas and papas guy who uh, ended up uh, having sex with his daughter. Just like terrible behavior. A lot of people were around the Manson family girls. Uh, Neil Young was not that far away from those people. A lot of people going up and down various valleys and, and various places. It was a weird time. That's why I think we're all looking forward to the uh, Tarantino uh, movie about that, because there's a uh, um, it, 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 it didn't happen in a vacuum. It was all kind of interlocking. Meanwhile, like Sunset Strip which we, uh, uh, those of us of a certain age, mostly associate with like, you know, heavy metal in the late 80s and early 90s and other types of stuff. In the 60s, late mid and late 60s, it was like hippies everywhere, the occasional like race riot and the doors and love, like weird <laughs> stuff was happening in L.A., man, uh, right around there. And this is... Uh, uh, this is ex exactly uh, a thing. Uh, uh, Jeff, was, th was there not somebody on Twitter pointing out that 2020, which is the record that uh, that we hear never learn not to love, which is just... Uh, it's such a great uh, title. I, I probably referenced that. Uh, it's the Charles Manson written uh, Dennis song. Um, I probably referenced that uh, subconsciously at least once a week uh, just for the double <laughs> negatives. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a weird song. It's not it's an unsettled song, even if you didn't know Charles Manson. Yeah, is, you but can almost get the sense that it, uh, this was written by a guy with a mental problem, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then Dennis <laughs> not is like coming up, yeah. uh, coming up at the end, uh, towards the end, and there's like weird time changes, and but then Dennis is going, "Come closer, come closer!" Like, nope, nope, uh, uh, I don't want to hear like either Dennis or Charles Manson talking about coming uh, closer to you. Uh, yeah, but I think someone on Twitter was pointing out that 2020 was one of the only songs to uh, record uh, songs by three different murderers. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. There are, yes, there are three convicted murderers uh, whose songs are covered on this album. Uh, Charles Manson, Lead Belly, and Phil Spector. And I guess that brings us to 2020, which is the last album they would do for Capitol Records before they left the label. Um, but uh, it is not really an album in a way so much as it is a weird kind of semi compilation bunch of singles from 1968 that had been produced released as sort of middling success one of them actually was a pretty big hit the worst of them actually um and then some random brian wilson tracks 
more of him in his waltz face talking about how like oh, you know i'm going to sleep and it's time for me to get alone basically <laughs> broadcasting as much as possibly could be broadcast like i am not in a good frame of mind and then of course it throws on those two smile tracks it yeah. throws on our prayer and then cabin essence at the end as if to say hey remember what you could have had ha 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 you'll never get it you'll never really understand what it was about but here's the funny thing about 2020 it's a good record the charles manson song is actually a pretty good song uh, i hate to say that but it's a good song i like it i mean i'm sorry he's a mass murderer but he wrote a decent piece of music i don't i don't really have any problem with this album i think the the, the worst thing about it is the bruce johnston track yeah, it's the nearest far away place it's in it's an instrumental it's music it's yeah it's not offensive. It's just sort of like boring. But like everything else here has got at least one little hook or two little hooks or, you know, maybe, hey, it was written by a mass murderer hook. <laughs> Those things are going to get your interest up. And I think it's a pretty decent record for a half compilation. I really yeah, like uh, right. I really like 2020. Um, I really do. And, I, I, you know, if you didn't know it was kind of this this weird singles covers uh, sort of uh, compilation thing, I don't know if it would stand out too terribly that it, that i mean it doesn't flow wonderfully and there's not a coherent message but that's not unusual for uh you know for the beach boys albums of, of this time and i i think it actually features some really good songs uh do it again i think i don't think jeff likes that very much i uh, I, I like do it again just fine um you know you got to remember too this is 1969 and it's it's a consciously backward looking song right nostalgia and surf mentions and the hand claps and all that stuff um, but it's not looking back that far. I mean, the Beach Boys are not that far removed from the time when this was the kind of music they were making. It's a Wilson Love track. Brian apparently still likes it quite a bit. Um, that, that drum sound at the beginning is so distinctive. Brian has this wordless falsetto that sort of carries over the tune. It's I like the first three songs here quite a bit. I like the uh, I Can Hear Music, the, the Spectre cover, um, which did, I think, decently on the charts. It's, a, it's an acoustic guitar-driven song, which you don't hear a ton of from uh, the Beach Boys around this era. The acapella section in there is really sweet. Carl takes the lead, uh, Mike Love in, in his bass register. Uh, it's really great. And then Bluebirds Over the Mountain is, is a cover song. That I like a lot. Outside of outside of that that odd decision to add like this squealing electric guitar to sort of fill in areas here and there, um, that doesn't yeah, they, work. They, 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 there are very few things that sound less Beach Boys than a hard rock guitar yeah. solo, and which is like whatever. But, but the rest know, of it, it was nineteen sixty eight. The rest of it I like. It's got that repeating groove to it. Uh, I like Bluebirds Over the Mountain. Uh, later on, I, I think Time to Get Alone. It, yes, it's a harpsichord waltz from Brian. But again, you start listening to the stuff that he's he's writing. That's one where you know ju just just away away from the people, safe from the people. This uh, this uh, song about going away with someone and, and getting away from everyone else. Uh, it really is, I think, uh, kind of a, a minor 
a real minor, not a minor success, but uh, it is a success and kind of a, a minor great song in their, in their catalog. And then, of course, at the very end, you throw in the two smile tracks, Our Prayer and Cabot Essence, which is, which is just still sounds fantastic. Cabot Essence does this me- mellow country feel and, and that kind of locomotive paced portion uh, toward the middle of the Who Ran, uh, Who Ran the Iron Horse portion. Look, this is, uh, I think, a very, very good album. And again, there's the Johnston song isn't isn't great. I tend to come on Team Matt on the Manson track. I, I, I don't love Never Learn Not to Love. I've never not learned not to love that track. No, that's not what I mean to say. Um, but uh, but again, I think uh, I think unless you're you know the background and it's kind of pieced together here and there, uh, 2020 works pretty darn well. I uh, for me the standouts are time to get alone. I think it's far away the best song here. Do it again is uh, a fine uh, single. I think Beach Boys fans, uh, super fans, hate it because it was their first like, oh, we have to right. reconnect with our original right. audience type of song. Right. For me, the uh, the the saving grace of it is just the weird drum sound that it uh, comes in with. It's pretty uh, Which pretty doesn't cool. Sound like sound like anything from anywhere within like you know five or six years of it. By the yeah. way, it um, sounds like you know like experimental music or something from like the late 70s like post-punk era what a strange tone they get out of that drum time to get alone is uh is is moving it's also very it's still a a, a beautiful melody uh with some uh, falsettos and has big uh harmonies going in it's kind of a classic uh uh this era beach boys song when they're when they're putting it together all in, in one pop song It's another sign that around here uh, this time they start having disastrous ideas about what <laughs> songs should be the single. Um, uh, this is most, uh, uh, for me, uh, glaring on their next record, Sunflower. But Time to Get Alone should have been a single. Uh, Bluebirds Over the Mountain had no business being released <laughs> as a single. It's like a funk rock cover. Uh, or it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't. I can hear music. Uh, all songs that have the word music in it, I don't like. Um, it's just. Uh, well, are you telling me you're not a big fan of the Doobie Brothers? Listen to the music either. That's as close as I get, man. And even then, it's you know the yacht rock uh, yeah. kind of uh, exception here. And uh, and for whatever reasons, I've never been a Cabinessence fan. I uh, appreciate. Oh, no! it's true. I, I don't want to hear the, the home on the range. I don't like. I don't like the slow down parts. The uh, the the big vocal. Iron Horse, that craziness coming down is a masterful piece of disturbing music, and I think it's great. But just as a, a the, the the two elements put together, uh, cloy at me. So 2020, I, for these reasons, I do not love it. I would point to uh, "Be with Me," which is another Dennis Wilson track here, which is mostly like okay and good, and then in the chorus he brings this huge kind of instrumentation. I think he's producing this too, so he's doing more than just kind of writing or co-writing. 
writing songs now. Uh, and so it comes with this big, uh, like, uh, crashing orchestral chorus and does some interesting key changes there too he's he's uh, again like touching into some uh, raw emotions in a way that the uh, other boys even though they are are bringing more into each one of these records uh, uh, aren't matching I think uh, his work it Well, I got to tell you, you know, Be With Me is a good song, but it, it, it's no patch on All I Want to Do, which, of course, is the better Dennis Wilson song on 2020, merely because it ends with the sounds of him. And this is not a joke. If you're looking <laughs> for the end of it, it's the sounds of Dennis Wilson having sex with a groupie on tape. Yes, the Beach Boys were, as I said, this is the weird era. They're, they're, they're getting up to very weird things. One thing I actually do want to say about 2020, this era, the end of the Capitol Records era, before we leave it, is that they left with one single. They, you know, they're final like obligation to the record label uh, is a song called breakaway which i think is actually one of the most underrated beach boy songs of all time um, they wrote it actually with their their dad their hateful father murray wilson contributed i don't know if he wrote some of the music or he wrote some of the lyrics of the song but it's a great song and it's it's brian wilson seemingly shaking off the cobwebs of indifference to write like a really measured piece that has like several sections several different melodic ideas but then you know like that that, that great part where it's like you know and here's the answer i found instead found that it was in my head found that it was in my head and i can break away to the better life where the shackles never hold me down that's a really great little pop rock chorus and a song that it was not on any of their albums and so it's rarely compiled i think you can only find it on a very few like of their greatest hits collections or box sets But uh, it, it's really underrated, and is also a really a pretty pretty important signpost to uh, what was about to happen next, which is their uh, first album for their new record label. So the Beach Boys lose their Capitol Records contract; they're at a commercial nadir. They're not selling any records. Uh, again, you know, maybe they should break up. What's the point of continuing onward? Well, they had they had one angel investor, and that was, of course, none other than Van Dyke Parks, who at this point was uh, no longer. A solo artist he was a record executive working for reprise warner brothers and uh, he said hey you know what um 
you know, we should sign the Beach Boys. They're pretty good, actually. I, I think these guys, they have some talent. And uh, the Beach Boys signed to Warner, and the condition of their signing to them was, was a, a pretty in- interesting one. Warner basically said to them, okay, yeah, we'll sign you. You know, you guys aren't exactly the biggest selling uh, band on the planet these days. Uh, what we're going to demand is that Brian has to be involved with these albums, and also we're going to exercise some quality control. So the next record they submitted to them was rejected three times. They re- they submitted an album to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers said, nope, go back and do something better. Submitted it a second time, nope. Third time, nope. Mo Austin, the head of the label, basically said, hey, you guys, you know, you might be without a record contract at all unless you actually give us some good work. They were intentionally trying to push the band. Uh, and the result ended up being... Actually, you know, we always complain about how, how dare these record labels interfere with the artists, <laughs> the artistic prerogative and all that. Uh, Warner Brothers was right to do it because the final product is an album called Sunflower, which is, I think, most Beach Boys fans would agree. Uh, one of the greatest records that they ever did, maybe the most underrated record relative to its like prominence uh, and its sort of, sort of popular reputation in their career. What do you guys think about Sunflower? Sunflower is one of my favorite records Full stop. I agree it's the most underrated in, in the Beach Boys uh, catalog. Uh, uh, again, they're just re- releasing the wrong singles. Uh, add add some music, which is not my favorite song at all. Because I kind of like that one. Music in, in title, music yeah, is good. in my soul. Yeah, nope, Mike, nope, Mike nope. loved nope. talking about those good old gospel sounds. Because yeah, like there's no, nobody who knows Sunday morning gospel quite like Mike Love. But it also has uh, some. Just great songs. This whole world, uh, one of the greatest of the uh, Brian Wilson uh, pick a pick a key, would you songs, <laughs> uh, uh, which which just changes every time. Uh, every night I think about the love. So it keeps like going around, but it's okay. Uh, you feel a little bit uh, like the the ride is unsteady, but it's it's just a really uh, a great pop song in the way that wonderful is uh, uh, uh just a little bit uh faster up um two of my favorite beach song beach boy songs are on this record um uh and we'll see if i can talk about them without like bursting into tears i think the only thing that, that keeps me from crying when i talk about the song forever is that my 10 year old uh daughter started getting into full house yeah. and fuller house <laughs> uh which i'd never watched i was i didn't live in this country when those things were popular and um John Stamos, who of course has been a uh, an unofficial or official even a touring member of the kind of Mike loved Beach Boys over the years, uh, it's a recurring thing. Like he plays forever. I think at his wedding, he plays mm-hmm. it for his wife to be. It's he he plays it with a gospel choir. Um, so I that thankfully has put a little critical distance of the song. This is a Dennis Wilson uh, love song, plaintive. Uh, raspy voiced um, uh, a love song that uh, the chorus has just huge, huge uh, backing vocals uh, as things are kind of opening up to the heavens. Wow, what a song this is. And of course, they didn't release that uh, as any kind of single there. Let the love I have for you live in your heart and be forever. Say the 
Um, another one that, that uh, really uh, hits me in a in a special place is "Our Sweet Love," yeah. uh, which sounds like that sentiment. Uh, you know, just "Our Sweet Love" will last forever. Something as plain and simple uh, as that, and there's a hint of desperation to it, uh, just as there is in "Forever." Like you can, the mortality of the Beach Boys is really coming into view here. Um, they their their hold, their grip on things is not particularly strong. Um, they're starting to feel kind of more of a, of a middle-aged sense of a set of, uh, of emotions, uh, and it's making some really uh, pretty uh, music. I thought about a summer day And how the time just floats away Pretty things like incense and flowers I want to make them part of our sweet love And even some of the slider stuff like Deirdre, which is yet another one. It's like Annalie, the healer from a previous record. Like, let's just write a song about some hippie we like. Um, <laughs> you want to know something hilarious about Deirdre? That's a Bruce Johnston number. It's a pretty good song, actually. It is. Uh, it was if uh, if you're a if you're a, a video game nerd uh, like I am, an old Super Nintendo nerd that was famously sampled for one of uh, the most well-loved uh, role-playing games uh, for the Super Nintendo era called Earthbound, and it's actually the the final like area the final boss battle where you're in some sort of like limbo like hell they sampled it and slowed it down to make it sound really demonic so the whole deirdre thing actually sounds like demons ripping yourself <laughs> that's awesome oh we should uh, try to find a way to put the clip in if we can it's hilarious the other uh, the other uh so i think they really slip on through as a single there which is a f- it's, it's the, the record starting song yeah, by uh, Dennis fine. Wilson. I, I think it's a I think it's a perfectly fine song, just not the what you put it out as the single. And the other uh, song that I like, although I can see why people wouldn't, uh, is uh, "Tears in the Morning," which is a Bruce Johnston number uh, that has the very very questionable uh, uh, rhyming couplet of Europe. And I think sure of uh, at some <laughs> point. Uh, and it's another waltz, uh, and it kind of it's like it's it's floating in the direction of kind of yacht rock uh production values but it still works because you still have like this big beach boys harmony behind it i love soundflower scott i guess i'm going to um i'll take the other side here sunflower is not one of my favorite beach boys albums uh despite uh, again trying this time around uh during the lead up to to the show maybe it maybe it hinges on the johnston songs because i don't like either of those uh very much uh the single also that that uh, matt mentioned had some music I, I don't think is very good despite the fact it was uh the single uh I, there are a few songs on here. I, I do like It's About Time. Uh, the lyrics are nonsense. They're, they're kind of hippie lyrics, which actually makes it sound more contemporary in 1970 than, than perhaps some other Beach Boy stuff. But the percussion here, uh, Earl Palmer, is really good. And, uh, and, and Mike loves vocals on here. Uh, it's about time, and his in his bass is 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 really good. It's one of the more exciting tracks on on the album.
brother, brothers, sisters, everybody. We better start to help each other now. All I want to do uh, is really good. It's got a great arrangement, this kind of ghostly arrangement with these mechanical sounding drums. And uh, and it's a little ahead of what would be what called electropop kind of uh, almost new order stuff a decade in the future. All I want to do, I think, is a is a highlight here. I do like Forever, although unlike Matt, I did watch Full House growing up, which is which means that that was the first time I heard Forever was on Full House. <laughs> so and, I, and yet I still yet I still like it. Uh, Dennis has I think four I think four songs on this album. So he again, kills it with all of them, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, he he again is beginning to assert himself as a songwriter. And vocalist too, before his his voice would would uh, would give out in in some future albums. I I don't know. I, I just you know the, the public didn't love it. It went to I think just one fifty one. Not that the public's uh, approval is what makes a great album, but uh, I would really prefer you know even just given the choice, I'll take the next one, um, which we'll talk about in a second. I, Sunflower is not my cup of tea. Well, the next one, what happens uh, when, when the band suddenly gets tired of being a complete irrelevancy in the commercial world, they hire a guy who is running a vegan, I believe, a vegan um, produce store, something like that. Um, and uh, they hire them to be their new manager. And uh, I say, hey, you need to reintroduce us to the counterculture. And the guy's name is Jack Riley. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, Jack Riley, you know, he's sort of like, you know, a transitional character in the Beach Boys story, but I think he did a pretty good job for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he really did actually bring them. This is this is, this is the year where the Beach Boys are like performing with the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore East, and I actually have those tapes. Guess what? It's a pretty good concert. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, this is uh, where he says, okay, we know what you got to do. You're going to have to record some topical material. So, unfortunately, we get Mike Love singing about student demonstration yeah. time. Oh. Uh, the rewrite of Riot and cell block nine which was a stage number that they did and then love puts more lyrics on it and it's about student demonstration time oh god that one hurts um but you know in in terms of other topical uh material don't go near the water that one holds up that one holds up a lot more than i expected i went back to listen to it recently and i thought oh this is going to be just some sort of goofy environmental number Mm, it's kind of creepy it has pretty futuristic sound i really like the way it starts that was a good song the arrangement Uh, is really good i mean the 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 moog layers and then you throw in banjo there's there's harmonica there's um uh there's some acoustic guitar um, the way it's arranged, I, I don't think the lyrics are fantastic, uh, really, but the way it's arranged is uh, not unique, but it would sort of point a way that they would move in the future, too. The name of this album isn't called Student Demonstration Time, and it's not called Don't Go Near the Water. It's not called The Beach Boys Return to Cultural Relevance. What's the name of this album? It's called Surf's Up. 
Well, why? Well, as you may know, if you've been listening to this episode, Surf's Up was supposed to be the capstone track on Smile. And they finally convinced Brian Wilson to allow them to sort of exhume it and finish it up and put it all together. And it's the last song on this album. It's obviously a big hook. I'm sure that the you know the record label likes, you know, being able to sell this is like, hey, you know, Brian is back and here's this hidden masterpiece that you've been waiting several years to hear. Uh, we've talked about it already. I th- absolutely think it lives up to the hype i think the rest of this album also lives up to this hype um i think that there are moments on this album that are so moving that they're ridiculous that i love Uh, there's a song on this album that's called a day in the life of a tree and it's not sung by any of the members of the band it's (laughs) sung by jack riley himself brian wilson tricked him into going into the studio and recording to the vocal for it he's just like hey why don't you take a pass at this and then when he got done with it said haha that's the take that's the one we're gonna put on the album like me weren't meant to live if all this world can give pollution It's like painfully, almost naively moving about, you know, what it's like to be a tree, to feel the wind burn through my skin, the pain, the air is killing me. You know, my years, my limbs used to stretch to the sky and was a nest for birds to sit on and sing, but now they suffer and the leaves don't grow. It's so weirdly moving and so strangely downbeat that it, it just is, it's fitting that this album ends with the last three songs, A Day in the Life of yeah. a Tree. And then the final song is Surf's Up, and then in between is a song called Till I Die that I feel like I want to let Matt talk about because I know that he loves this song just as much as I do. But it feels like Brian Wilson performing his own funeral requiem. It's just so tough. These last three songs uh, on this record, uh, it feels like that's it. I I am now done. Um, Till I Die is so different than a lot of beach boys songs um it's one of the only ones that i'm aware of that's not like uh, there's no other like my baby from the party record in which um I, the vocals the lead vocals are a harmony over the same line right think of there's no other like my baby it's just they're all singing the same line they are in different parts right uh till i die i'm a drop in the ocean or i'm a leaf on the ocean i forget uh i and you can't and an unlike there's no other like my baby you don't really know what is the root melody of it mm-hmm. which is so like psychologically appropriate for this song the song is about being an insignificant small little thing in the middle of tumultuous all enveloping nature that is about to destroy you 
<laughs> right? You're a rock in a landslide. Uh, uh, You're a leaf on a windy day, a cork in the ocean. A cork in the ocean. Things yeah. I'll be until I die. Uh, You're this insignificant, and it's, it's delivered in this sense of, uh, or, or, or this atmosphere of kind of peace and wonder and, uh, and resignation uh, too. Um, although, if any of you out there have had the misfortune of almost drowning, and I have, uh, in in the ocean, um, it's not a peaceful thing. Hmm. It is not at all a peaceful thing. Uh, just like a day in the life of the tree can be seen very directly as a metaphor for where Brian Wilson was at. Used to be, you know, used to have a, a space for nests and birds and happy things, and now uh, he just sort of feels the poison coming down and feels trapped. Um, uh, he is trying to communicate a sense or maybe create a sense of of peace and tranquility at what absolutely was anything but. It's a terrible thing to be where he was uh, uh, and to maybe be where he is to this day. Um, and he's trying to both send us kind of uh, little messages of, of of help and notes, and also kind of a resignation letter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm I'm done with this. It ends with uh, these things are true until I die. And does the big kind of God only knows style? Uh, three or four uh, different harmony uh, lines coming in, repeating over and over again. Uh, I, I recommend this. Seek out every alternate take you can find. There's a Steve Desper uh, mix. He was their engineer during this period, um, in which uh, the the normal song is about two and a half minutes long. Uh, he has a mix where he plays up the kind of marimbas and maybe it's a harpsichord or a little organ underneath it uh, for the full length of the song, and then it drops in the vocals afterwards. There's also versions that's just the uh, backing vocals or uh, vocals only track um, which you don't totally feel the full effect of in the finished produced song but they're amazing they they, they still have a little bit of that uh, golden throat uh, left in them it's a it's an incredibly valedictory um, uh, statement and song and it my relationship to it changes as I get older uh, incredibly beautiful also really hard hard to listen to and deal with depending on on where you're at I'm a leaf on a windy day. Soon I'll be When Brian sings his lines until I die, it kills my soul. Hey, hey, hey. I lost oh, yeah. my way. Hey, hey, hey. That is just crushing. 
um, until I die. For, you know what? The line for me is, how deep is the ocean? How deep is the ocean? Just like there's endless depths that you can sink down to and sink through. Again, just a brilliantly small but philosophically painful line. Yeah, and that I... I... I like Till I Die. I like Till I Die better than Surf's Up on this album. I think Till I Die is one of the absolute classic uh, Beach Boys, Brian Wilson uh, songs. And there's so many little pieces of it, too. Um, there's this like tinny sequencer-like drum beat that, that, that goes throughout the song uh, that is really interesting. Vibraphone, organ, of course. Matt mentioned how those harmonies kind of fit together. Um, man, you can feel the mental and emotional deterioration happening through the course of the song even it is such a picture into what and you know this is one where brian writes the words and the music it's just such a picture into what he was trying to deal with at this time um largely unsuccessfully i I think you'd have to say uh but occasionally kind of peeking out with these things like till i die which is a just a brilliant perfect kind of song till i die is just amazing the other one I'll highlight here is one that was just mentioned on uh, two shows ago, uh, Feel Flows, which is a, a Carl Wilson song. And this is one that I don't think I heard until it was featured in Almost Famous. And now that that inclusion has kind of made it um, a standout track to many. Many more people have heard it, but I I'm, I can recall the first time I heard it in the in the context of the film. Like that song blew me away from the first time I heard it. Uh, those those lyrics are not really meant to be anything. I mean, the, the song is all feel and atmosphere and reverse echo on the vocals. Um, it's the first, I think, great Carl Wilson written song, really. And the way those voices kind of play and dance around each other during the, the chorus kind of portions, that move is all around those voices. Feel Flows is another classic. Disney Girls is probably Bruce Johnson's best song he wrote with the band. Uh, he sings it, too, on this album. A, a guy who's looking to the past, uh, you know, rejecting the reality in front of him to think about better days 20 years ago, 1957. Uh, well, not 20 years ago at that point, 14 years ago, uh, 1957. The arrangement's really good here with the kind of wah-wah guitar, which kind of stands out. Again, the Moog is so prominently featured around this time in their career. Now, it's not to say there's not some bad stuff here. Uh, student demonstration, bad. Uh, take a load <laughs> off your feet, bad. I uh, kind of like take and... a load off your feet, Pete. It's stupid, but it's not terrible. Um, I don't I don't like uh, Al's song on, on, on Surf's Up, but man, those highs on Surf's Up from those final three songs to feel flows, and I, I'd even throw like Don't Go Near the Water in there, especially just for the arrangement and the way it sounds in Disney Girls. I really love Surf's Up. I mean... If 
I like the way that Matt put it, that 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 the, the final three songs on Surf's Up sound like a resignation letter from Brian, uh, because that's kind of the era that we now enter with the Beach Boys. These next several albums are sort of the Beach Boys on their own without Brian. Uh, he's not contributing he throws in like a vocal or like a random ep of fairy tale music or uh you know uh, you know some some completely like unpredictable cameo here and there but um he's mostly absent and so who's running the band carl wilson is really the, the, the group leader of the band dennis himself is actually not writing nearly as much at this point. And so what do they do? They, they find some guys from a South African band. Uh, I think it was, the name of them was called Flame or something like that. Yep. Uh, Ricky Fatar and Blondie Chaplin. And they say, okay, you know, we're going to induct you in the band. Why? Well, because Dennis, of course, in a drunken rage, shattered his hand and he can't drum. So we're going to get a different drummer in Dennis. You can just sing. Um, and these are the albums where Brian's uh, input is basically at a bare minimum. And uh, it's kind of a miracle that they're all still pretty good. <laughs> Because this band could not be stopped, even though nobody believed in them and nobody bought these records. Carl and the Passions is the weaker of the the two records that come. Uh, three, there are three of them. Right, the Carl and the Passions, uh, Holland, and then fifteen big ones. I think Matt and our uh, pre uh, pre game emails described fifteen big ones as a, as a quote war crime, and uh, I, I I agree with that. Uh, but but Carl and the Passions for an album that nobody likes, I kind of like it. I kind of like you need a mess of help to stand alone. I need a spot. I kind of like I really like Marcella I like all this is that um I really don't need to hear another stupid Maharishi song, uh, which is <laughs> he come down and you know, just like you listen to it and then suddenly it clicks that, oh, my God, this is a song about transcendental meditation and your eyes glaze over. But it's not a bad record. And uh, I you know, let's take these two together. Holland is not just, quote, not a bad record. Holland is kind of secretly an amazing record uh, that nobody talks about, but there are so many great songs on this. Dude, I even like the stupid Al Jardine spoken word bit about the beaks <laughs> of eagles. Like, uh, but Sail on Sailor, that's a that's a underrated 70s classic. The Traitor, which is like weirdly, I think, about American imperialism. <laughs> Funky Pretty, Leaving This Town, there are a lot of great songs on Holland. What do you guys think of these two records taken together as sort of like the the brian is out of the picture scene the brian is out of the picture except ceylon sailor was like hey brian we got this record coming out can you do the brian thing and and he did the brian turns out he could still do the brian thing what a great (laughs) great song kind of like darling although i I like it better as a song and has a a lot of different resonance to it uh blondie chaplin ricky fatar uh what a weird thing. Uh, we were having a chat in the Reason Slack channel a couple of months ago. One of the younger staffers said, hold on a second. Nobody told me that in their mid to late career, uh, the Beach Boys hired a couple of South African guides and started making Americana music. Like, yeah, well, that's kind of it. 
Uh, so tough uh, was the one record uh, that uh, always kind of eluded my grasp. I didn't really uh, see it. So it was the one that listening for this episode, the light switch turned on for me. Um, uh, I, I had told myself, don't make new friends, don't make new favorites. Um, <laughs> and uh, and here we go. Um, Hold on, dear brother is the is the absolute standout track on that that has a lot of. Uh, resonance. Uh, I think it's Blondie Chaplin singing lead vocals. Great singer. Um, I mean, they this band suddenly uh, sounds like the band. It's got kind of uh, a, a sort of some slide uh, pedal steel. Uh, and also, going. how interesting is it, by the way, that they, they inducted these new members and then they started handing them big spotlight vocals? Yeah, yeah here because you go. Because they're going to say on Sailor, that's none of the original Beach Boys. That, that's, that's, that's Blondie Chaplin singing that song, too. And singing, singing the crap out of it. It's singing great. Uh, Hold On, Dear Brother has, I mean, it can work just on its own kind of uh, sense of, you know, you could decide it's a Vietnam War analogy if you want. You know, it's Hold On, uh, Dear Brother. Uh, it's also, I think, significant uh, that uh, it's it's one of the most you could read it as one of the most kind of uh, uh, direct uh, ways of addressing um, the elephant in the room of the Beach Boys relationship, mm-hmm. which is that their creative center was not holding um, uh, and he was not holding on. He had just signed his resignation letter. It's, it's a miracle that he's alive to this day. Uh, and it's a, even more of a miracle that he outlived both of his brothers. Yeah. Um, it is a really moving, moving song. It's a uh, goosebumps uh, every time I, uh, I listen to it. is one of my favorite uh, uh, Beach Boys records. One of the interesting things about the band in this period is that, especially as the other guys are learning how to write songs, um, they are doing pretty interesting uh, impersonations of Brian Wilson um, uh, and like uh, Brian Wilson weirdness. And you were talking about the uh, the, yeah. the, go- the goofy uh, voiceover bad poetry about like Big Sur and, and the winged ones. <laughs> he actually pronounces it winged. It's great. Um <laughs> 
it's like it, the California saga, this three part uh, 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 kind of a trilogy on the Holland record. You're either going to like it or you're not. Uh, just fair warning to everyone out there. Um, I had I was lucky enough um, when I was uh, uh, a teenager or maybe a, like 21 or so, a friend of mine made the best mixtape that had ever been made for me. Uh, and he titled it uh, Beach Boys, colon, Punishing, uh, comma, Savage. And, like, you don't <laughs> think of Beach Boys as punishing a savage. Like, what the hell? What is he going on about? And basically what the mix was, come to find out, was uh, a bunch of stuff from Beach Boys Today, one of Jeff's favorite records, um, just kind of the big, weird Phil Spector mixed with introspective uh, pop orchestra stuff, and a lot of stuff from Holland and of the, from the 67, 73 period. Um, so that's where I got my uh, first and, uh, and like, career uh, or life uh, uh spanning love for the traitor which is a an absolute uh pre woke era uh attack on uh american imperialism they're now reflecting and so is the california saga too it's sort of about the despoilation of uh kind of the big sur uh area as uh, humans come in and and uh, hurt these beautiful creatures who have been here for a long time sounds super cheesy but the traitor which I believe is one of Tom Petty's favorite songs. A whole lot of people uh, really like uh, key into uh, that lead vocal from uh, from Carl Wilson. Uh, this song with two parts, you know, this uh, the the beginning uh, part. And I mentioned this in the one episode that I was on earlier about REM. I'm uh, convinced that Trader uh, influenced. Uh, the writing of the song Fall on Me, which is also an environmental uh, kind of anthem. Um, but uh, uh, the sound of the backing vocals, the backing uh, uh, in the uh, verses of the Trader, this huge like uh, uh, echo chorus thing um, can itself in just two seconds uh, put all of the hairs on my arms on end. It's the only other thing that comes close to it is they, uh, that similar uh, backing vocals that you hear on the o only living boy in New York, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, this sort of like a, a huge chorus of Oz. It is so beautiful. It is so uh, haunting. Um, and then the song is chopped in half and it has this sort of like impressionistic um, bit at the end. Uh, so good. Really one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, records uh, on this uh, uh, planet. I want to say just a couple quick things. I want to ask the experts a question. Um, so very quickly, uh, Carl and the Passions is is one album where 
the division, I don't say divisions, but the different sects of the band really come through. There are two Dada songs, there's two uh, uh, Chaplin and Fatar songs, there's two Love, uh, Al Jardine songs, and there's two Brian Wilson tracks, essentially. And none of them really play all that well together, I think, thematically, and kind of right. uh, kind of how, how they're kind of, kind of sequenced. Uh, that said, You Need to Make, uh, or you, need, you Need a Mess of Help to Stand Alone, uh, one of the Wilson tracks, one of the Brian tracks, is really good. Uh, Jeff mentioned it previously, man there's a great groove to it that kind of piano figure that reappears through the song there's a vocal round uh toward the end the she don't know part banjo slide guitar carl's got a really great lead track on it that that's a that's a real highlight on carl and, and the passions and um and then on, on, on Holland, uh, you guys hit, I think, the highlight sale on Sailor's fantastic. The Trader's good. And I like I like Funky Pretty, too, which is uh, a, a kind of a throwback to, to a group vocal effort. There are kind of four lead vocalists and a, and a prominent moog to, to move through Funky Pretty. Neither of these two albums uh, kind of crack my, my favorites of the era. Here's my question for you guys that I thought of while listening back to these albums again. What is, what is Mike Love doing at this time? I mean, he's in the band. But he doesn't write or sing a lot on Surf's Up. He doesn't write or sing a lot on Carl and the Passions. Holland, he contributes a bit more with the California uh, trilogy. But with Brian kind of ducking out at this time, you would think a guy like Mike Love would say, all right, it's my time to reassert myself. I used to kind of lead this band, you know, a decade ago or so. What's, what, what is Mike Love doing around this time? He's waiting for American Graffiti to become a massive success at the box office, which then leads to Endless Summer becoming a number one hit, which leads to the Beach Boys going from a working band playing their recent stuff and being kind of a kind of a kick-ass live group, believe it or not, uh, to being the nostalgia oldies act that it becomes today. Oh, wow. alas. Yeah, there was the... Uh, um, uh, I think Mike Love, a part of the uh, the re- root of the great conflict with uh, Brian Wilson, and I alluded to this earlier, but Brian always needs a partner. For a while, that partner right. was Mike Love. Correct. Uh, and not just a partner, but he could perform as a partner, too, unlike almost all the other uh, people that Brian uh, Wilson has been associated with. Um, and so became e- essentially part of that. Uh, so uh, he's both jealous when other when brian partners up with other people but stranded too when he's out uh from this point on in the beach boys uh career which is not a creative peak (laughs) after 1973 we're kind of pretty much done uh with a couple of uh, little exceptions uh whenever mike love gets out in front of his skis like i got this one uh, uh, that's usually not a happy place for anybody. And suddenly you're recording in Fairfield, Iowa, uh, yeah. and, and, and doing a tribute to the Maharishi. <laughs> or writing some of the worst songs about like a city in Japan or maybe a state of mind in Japan. It's oh, not. Yes. It's Sumahama. not good. Uh, before we before we uh, leave uh, Holland, I I want to give a shout out to one of my favorite songs, which is uh, "Only with You," mm-hmm. uh, another Dennis Wilson uh, piece, which again has this kind of uh, sense of romantic desperation uh it's kind of it's almost uh, it's unrealistic and he knows it uh, all i want to do ooh, is spend my life with you ooh, at the end of it uh but uh, it's it's this really really a kind of pretty uh, slow piano song and it also has this great kind of coda with strings that come in what a great song it's really ripping into me right now i know one thing for sure i wanna do I want to spend this life with you Only with you Yes, it's true 
spend my life with you oh. All I want to do oh. Is spend my life with you oh. Yes, it's true oh. I want to spend my life with you and so what happens here? Okay, so you've got this situation where okay, Brian is out of the band, but the Beach Boys are actually a really crack live team, especially because they got Blondie Chaplin and Ricky Fatar in there. And so they, they can really bring it live. And they actually released a, a, a concert album around this time called The Beach Boys in Concert. It, it, it's pretty obscure. It, it, it's hard to find, but it, it, believe it or not, they're they're killing it like they're doing stuff like heroes and villains and playing the traitor and, and marcella and funky pretty and, and really just uh impressing the crap out of you on it um but everything changes when capital records uh to capitalize upon the wave of nostalgia uh that george lucas who has brought so many terrible things to us <laughs> including the star wars prequels but uh the 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 big nostalgia boom of the mid 70s to go back to the innocence of the early 60s and late 50s uh the you know, American Graffiti and all that. The Capitol Records released a double record, uh, Beach Boys compilation called Endless Summer, which unexpectedly went to number one uh, out of nowhere almost. People just suddenly decided, hey, you know what? I really want to hear Surfing USA again and uh, Little Deuce Coop and Be True to Your School. And that really sort of, you know, not only does it sort of revive the Beach Boys commercial fortunes, hey, you got a number one album in the charts. But it also puts you know the Mike Love point of view back into the driver's seat, and uh, what are they going to do to follow up upon this this unexpected commercial success? Well, they got to get Brian back in the band, right? Get the Brian. In fact, they actually launched this campaign. Oh, this horrible and unfortunate campaign. Oh. It's called the Brian's Back campaign. Uh, yeah, he's he's no longer horribly addicted to drugs. <laughs> spoiler alert he was still pretty horribly addicted to drugs um yeah he's he's been creatively revived we're gonna come out with a really great record and what's that album it's called 15 big ones 15 big ones and what is it it's like half of it are really terrible cover songs and the other half are really bad bad uh, original songs including another friggin song about transcendental meditation which by the way is not something that mike love wrote brian is responsible for the tm song i <laughs> See, sabotage him. sabotage sabotage man he is just totally messing with mike that must be 15 big ones war crime or merely fog of war what's the what's the verdict on this one absolute war crime uh the uh it's it's cruel what they did to brian wilson maybe they had to do it to save his life but right around the time there's hopefully you can't find it on youtube in this case but there was they did a like a, a special on abc or I've, some damn I've place nbc it's, probably nbc it was yeah. saturday night live it was saturday night live guys they got they got uh john belushi and dan Aykroyd to dress up like cops to knock on brian wilson's door and indict him on counts of having never actually been a surfer which, by the way, is one of those things that is the source of so many terrible books about, like, Southern California, like the dream of Southern California, how it's all based on lies. Did you know that Brian Wilson didn't even surf? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a book like that called literally The Nearest Faraway Place, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the, the kind of a meditation on this. So they paddle his 300-pound whale-like carcass <laughs> out onto a surfboard, and he's just terrified. He's wearing a robe. He's still wearing his bathrobe when they yeah. do it. That's which, he, which he's been wearing, in fairness, for about 
three and a half years at this point, <laughs> coming out only to occasionally like produce. Only imagine how gamey it is, right? Yes, to produce weird like hippie records by like weird girls up in the the canyon somewhere. Like, wow, it's just a strange time. So they wheel him out, and it's going to be ready to go. Uh, and he comes out, and he's got very few original songs uh you know there's pictures of him uh, spinning the knobs and it he did nothing looks right uh it's pretty bad the uh the music on all of this is awful the only thing that um uh pricked up my ears even a little bit is the final song on uh, side two which is uh, just once in my life uh, a goffin king uh i think uh, phil specter uh a number um that where carl and brian who switch off vocals um they're they're like tapping into some amount of emotion who knows what it exactly is but that's you can safely skip this record um and uh you'd be better off for it scott uh war crime uh this is awful <laughs> uh it also it, it, i mean there's a bunch of covers on here but rock and roll music uh which is i think the lead off track I have I have hated that song for as long as I've hated music. Uh, this version, it's not, got, not it's got music in the title. Yeah, it's got music in the title. <laughs> Must be bad. This is uh, if we ever do a worst cover songs of all time, rock and roll music by the Beach Boys will be somewhere on my list. Uh, top, Mike top Love, ten hit. What's number five? I know, I know. Mike Love. No, sounds, no, 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 no. Blueberry Hills even worse though. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> um, I've I, I read somewhere someone writing about rock and roll music. They said that you would never want to dance with a person singing the song. It sounds so uninteresting <laughs> and uninspired, and no one's having any fun. And that's kind of what it sounds like on Fifteen Big Ones. I took my loved one over across the track. So she could hear my man a wailing sax. I must admit they have a rockin' band. Man, they was blowing like a hurricane. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. Any old way you choose it. It's got a backbeat, you can't lose it. Any old time you use it. It's gotta be rock and roll music. If you wanna dance with me. And then a little later on, um, I had to phone you. The, f- the first time I listened to 15 Big Ones and they get to the uh, uh, come on, come on, answer the phone part, I think, wow, Dennis's voice sounds really bad. That's that's lo- And that's that's Brian. That's uh, Brian. <laughs> it's, it's just oh, unbelievable by 76 um, how these guys sound. Um, that's what cocaine will do to you. Nice. That's the that same thing happened to Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Like exactly. Steven oh, Tyler, God, too. Uh, my, my goodness. Yeah, 15 big ones is uh, it's um, it's one you can safely skip a, a whole bunch of stuff at this point forward. You can safely skip, but it starts around this time. And to think, you know, like Jeff said, this is the whole Brian is back campaign. If you look on YouTube, you can see interviews. He was doing with news people about, yeah, I'm back and everything's good. And we named it 15 big ones because we're really proud of all the songs and stuff. It's it's uh, it's atrociously bad. It's bad stuff. I mean, and here's the strange thing. And like yet right after that, the last final burst of Beach Boys greatness comes. And I think all of this is, is weirdly involved with uh, the most controversial person in the entire history of the Beach Boys story. I, you thought Charles Manson was controversial? <laughs> well, uh, let me introduce you to a fellow named Dr. Eugene Landy. Yeah. Uh, Brian Wilson's therapist who, uh, you know, apparently jolted him out of his, you know, sort of stupor, but but did it in, in a, uh, well, I don't know how to characterize this exactly, perhaps an authoritarian way. 
way. Like you would literally like deny him food mm-hmm. and then reward him with joints if he like produce. Like here, you could smoke a dube if he's going to the studio and produce. Uh, but what it resulted in is something a whole lot better than fifteen big ones and a hell of a lot weirder. The weirdest and I jeez, I probably have said this too many times during these shows. Is this the most controversial album, the most split opinion album in the Beach Boys career? This is called The Beach Boys Love You. And it was originally going to be called Brian Wilson Loves You. It was originally a Brian Wilson solo album. Um and it, it is uh, the strangest thing that you're ever going to hear. This is an album that sounds more like uh, sort of bizarre Southern California post-punk before post-punk even happened with weird synthesizers and strange drum sounds and Brian Wilson singing about Johnny Carson and the, how cool the solar system is and <laughs> writing a song that literally is just called Ding Dang with the lyrics Ding Dang in it and oh, talking about what was the, 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 the cuteness of underage roller skating teenage girls. Oh man, weird, weird, weird stuff. And yet I love it. I love it, and a lot of other Beach Boys fans love it. This is, by the way, Peter Buck of REM. You know, to take us back to Matt's first appearance on the show, Peter Buck wrote the reissue liner notes for this record, and he says it's his favorite Beach Boys album, too. Um, this is a strange record, essentially a Brian Wilson solo record where the rest of the band came on and, and then overdubbed and sort of contributed some some, some bits here and there. But it, uh, uh, a strange document of uh, an adult child. And by the way, uh, the, the follow-up to this was supposed to be an album called Adult Child, Adult Slash Child. But yes, I think we understand what the joke here is. Yes, Brian Wilson is a man baby. Um, I don't even know why they bothered to release that album or try to record it because this is an album about an adult child. Mm. And it's weirdly disturbing yet compelling and also I got to say, very musically satisfying as well. I I like almost every single one of these songs. I even like the one where, you know, as I said, it's hilarious that Roger McGuinn of The Birds gets a writing credit on a song that's 57 seconds long, and it's called Ding Dang, and it has no other lyrics than ding and dang in it. Uh, I'm like, what did he write? Uh, he wrote what, ding. He wrote. Are you sure he didn't write the dang? I'm pretty. (laughs) I I read in a book that he wrote the dang. I I have no idea what it is, but I think you know from you know even the the weird creepy songs about roller skating children and about the solar system and how cool the solar system is. It's it's it is an album like no other in the major canon of rock music. This is like what those Sid Barrett solo albums would have been like if Sid Barrett was still capable of like putting together coherent thoughts. It's, it's the sound of a beautiful man, baby. And yeah, I love it. It's kind of, uh, 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 I haven't spent a lot of time listening to Daniel Johnston, but from what I understand, part of the attraction is, is, is what, uh, a mind that works differently, um, uh, getting to places kind of more quickly and, and plainly, uh, while having, uh, a considerable musical ability here. The, uh, the, the lo-fi-ness of this, or just, it, it's, it, ah. There isn't a word for this, I don't think, <laughs> but uh, because it sounds futuristic, futuristically sparse, yes. sparse. I don't. It's just a weird mix. I'd add to this uh, uh, a thing that 
we maybe alluded to just in terms of how weird his voice had gotten. Yes, it was hoarse from years of bad living and all this kind of thing. But uh, also for five years, kind of apropos of nothing, Brian Wilson decided that having been the same guy to record the lead vocal for Surf's Up, which uh, Beach Boys fans uh, spend their entire lives looking for the ultimate recording live version of him sitting at a piano singing that. It is as pure and angelic of a falsetto as man is able to produce. It is so clear and beautiful. So after having done that, Brian Wilson made the conscious decision years even before this record came out, although this is the ultimate flowering of it, to sing like Randy Newman. (laughs) He wanted to sing like Randy Newman. He wanted to sit at the piano, bang out like a like an upright piano or a player piano um and just belt out growly songs this person who is most known for harmonies of anybody on the planet and by god this is what he does here i think there's even an appearance that he made on saturday night live around this time uh where he plays one of the songs on here one of my favorite songs here which is love is a woman um uh, and boy, they must have just been baffled over there on 30 Rock. He's just like, love is a woman. <laughs> uh, like, really? That's what? Okay. Uh, it is, uh, it's the last Beach Boys uh, record, um, I think, that is totally worth listening to. The, yeah. the last one, uh, that's what got me the radio. I, I, I have it. I like it. I like it when it came out. Um, I'm glad to see them try um, after all these years and it has some it has some interesting material on it. But just in terms of a band, productive career for the most part for the beach boys it's between the three 63 to 73 uh that's uh it's rare to any any band has like a 10-year period but this is the very kind of end of that um uh period the last kind of artistic hurrah of this band as a band called the beach boys although as jeff writes rightly points out this is basically a solo record uh, the other song i'll, I'll uh, that i like and always have here is yet another kind of domestic, this is what's in front of me, uh, uh, song called I Want to Pick You Up. And Jeff, this has got to actually uh, the tug at your heartstrings now that you have a little bopper on you. Oh yeah, I know. I love that song. It literally uh, ends up, this is like uh, uh, mostly uh, Dennis uh, singing, you know, I want to pick you up. But I think it's Brian who comes in and uh, the song kind of stops and say, pat, 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 pat her on her butt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god we did that and yet it's a very sweet song i like it it's a really cute song again it's, it's just almost like oh for like was he 35 years old at this point the childlike innocence of it uh works because he's like a father talking about his little baby girl and like oh yeah i want to pick you up too little bopper oh <laughs> give me hugs i don't know I, I i like this album despite the fact that yeah it's clearly the product of a very weird individual wash your body and shampoo your hair be careful not to sting your eyes Put you in your bed And I'll bend and kiss you on your head I want to pick you up Rock you back and forth and make you smile I want to hold you close for a Pat, pat, pat her on her butt, butt. 
Scott, it's it's good. Um, I had, uh, had emailed you and said, you know, I, I, this kind of reminds me in a way of like of, of McCartney too, right? Where you have this uh, clear musical genius who's doing something very strange, and you either kind of understand what's going on here, or you or you don't. Yeah. Um, like like the percussion on here, it's essentially like one snare drum for the whole album. That's what you get. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I'm like Johnny Carson. I, I said that, you know, Johnny Carson is like temporary secretary. I think he either like, wow, that's kind of, I kind of see what he's doing or that's totally ridiculous. I kind of like Johnny Carson, uh, even though, the, you know, the lyrics, you know, when guests are boring, he fills up the slack and the network makes him break his back. Even though Carson, of course, famously had all sorts of vacation in his schedule. Three days a week, uh, he worked toward the end. When guests are boring, he fills up the slack. The network makes him break his back. Johnny Carson. And Big Ben comes on and says it's Johnny. Every night at 11.30, he's so funny. But, um... There's all sorts of weird stuff like that. Honking down the highway, or as they say, honking down the gosh darn highway. <laughs> the gosh darn highway. Boy, well, you're getting very blue there in your lyrics, Brian. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Mona, Mona's pretty good. I mean, there, there's all sorts of really, I mean, certainly between 15 big ones and the rest of the Beach Boys output, this is by far the most interesting and entertaining album of, of worthwhile music. Um, I'm not sure it's going to stack up to, you know, pet sounds in any way, shape, or form, but you at least kind of see the experimentation and the, I don't want to say risks necessarily, but as, as Jeff said, it's, it's, it's an adult child, right? There's all these things happening. It's what's happening in his life. He's watching Johnny Carson. He's picking up his, his kids. Uh, all these things on Love You with a really strange production style to it that, that, that works in the end. I even like hearing Mike Love sing about how cool it is to be flying in a in an airplane with all the <laughs> the little the little houses looking like postage stamps down below. Again, just such sort of like unmediatedly obvious observations that you know a more crafty songwriter would feel the need to mask because oh that's so banal. Brian Wilson was just like nah, this what's in my head. This is what comes out on the record. I love that. Now I guess the question is, uh, do we really need to spend too much time focusing on on the true masterpieces of the Beach Boys career. Uh, that is, of course, the Maharishi International University album recorded in Fairfield, Iowa. By the way, I love the fact that uh, you know, the Maharishi Mahashyoki, Indian guru, uh, for some reason had his uni international university founded in, in Fairfield, Iowa, of all places, because there's nothing that just screams transcendental meditation and exotic Eastern Raga-like thoughts quite so much as the cornfields of the middle America. Um, yeah, terrible album. Uh, L.A., the light album. Keeping the summer alive. The Beach Boys. And, uh, yeah, still cruising. Still cruising. Is it even an album? No, it's actually only half of an album. This is the bad tail end of the Beach Boys' career. Of course, 
things that happened during this period right after the Beach Boys Love You Brian or Dennis Wilson releases Pacific Ocean Blue which is his only solo album which I think is a pretty good record I don't know if it's as good as as a lot of like Beach Boys super hardcore fans make it out to be I think in, in that sense it's somewhat overrated I mean Wilson's voice was just shot to hell at this point he sings it with the you know I think yeah, that, that, that as, as Matt was pointing out it's just like whiskey strained tone but there's some pretty great songs on it and then he sort of disappears from the rest of the band's work and in, until unfortunately he drowns in 1983 in the midter in the in the interim time of course he had an affair with christy mcvee which i suppose we'll cover on our uh, fleetwood mac <laughs> episode whenever we get around to recording that i don't know what you guys have to say about any of these last few albums uh they're obviously the tail end of the beach boys productive career this is when it's become sort of the mike love you know touring oldies act playing washington dc on the fourth of july thing and well i guess we do actually have to acknowledge that their greatest single ever song is kokomo that's obviously true. Uh, no, the greatest single ever is the disco version oh, of Here yeah. Comes the Night. Okay, I kind of like that. I got to admit, I kind of like On L.A. Uh, light album. My uh, friend Michael Moynihan has been a guest on this program. Um, and we're always fond of pointing out that uh, many of the best disco songs are done by rock bands. Rolling Stones did great disco songs. Uh, you know, arguably Rod Stewart, one of the better uh, disco uh, songs out there. Um, well, yeah, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Remix of Here Comes the Night. It's so bad that I sort of like it. Uh, yeah, it maybe comes to the other side. It's almost as bad as Ringo Starr's solo career disco uh, period, which was uh, yeah. thankfully uh, short, uh, short-lived. Uh, th- there's nothing else really to talk about uh, in all of these. One song you, know, you mentioned, uh, uh, Dennis uh, Wilson's solo record which you should check out if you're if, if you're interested it's uh um uh, it's again i think it came out in 77 ish or 78 um so it's right at the end of their productive career uh there's a song on miu uh called my diane uh that dennis sings i think all of or most of uh at uh, brian composition it's the uh, basically in the, at the end of the of the beach boys era just, just scroll down the bad album to the dennis song and that's usually as good as you're gonna get uh and <laughs> It's one of the last uh, decent songs. Uh, I have very, very little to add except to say that while I was driving over the weekend, uh, Kokomo came on the radio, and so I did listen to it. And then when I got home, I said, uh, you know, I should watch the video for Kokomo. I don't know why I said it, but I did. No. And it's it's as bad as you think. Bruce Johnson's wearing this, like, plaid shirt while everyone else is in, in Hawaiian shirts. Uh, Mike Love pretends to play the saxophone. But the important thing is, in in the back, and actually featured prominently in a couple of, of cuts, is John Stamos. So even by that point, which was about 88 for Cocktail, John yeah. Stamos was part of that touring band. He plays percussion. Uh, and plays it well in the in the Kokomo video. And I also like that Mike Love is still pissed off about Silk Cruising because apparently that's supposed to be it was supposed to be a, co- a full compilation album of only Beach Boy songs that had appeared in movies. 
Uh, so Kokomo and anything else that from the past decade, Big Chill and elsewhere. And a couple of the guys insisted on putting new songs on Still Cruising. So you have, I think, three new songs and six old songs. And Love's like, they ruined it. It was supposed to be just songs that had been in movies. And they ruined the whole theme by insisting on putting new songs on there. Because, uh, you know, Mike Love. Because, yeah, I mean, like, it really kind of it undercut the artistic integrity of <laughs> right. Make It Big from Troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> or uh, <laughs> Lethal Weapon 2. They have a, a song on Lethal Weapon 2 soundtrack. Uh, that, that's, that's about all I have from that era. Yeah, no, nah, this is obviously you know, the long, slow decline of the Beach Boys. I, I, do you guys uh, have any thoughts on, I guess, the, the, the last real album, sort of a semi-reunion album, That's Why God Made the Radio? And Matt, I know you, you, you said you had this and you kind of like it. I thought it was okay. I'll admit it. I've only listened to it like once. I, I, I just, you know, I, I think that there are artists that are truly great artists, surpassingly great artists, but... They they have only so much art within them, and I I, I feel like they were past their prime at this point because you know oh, hey yeah. you know Carl and Dennis are both gone, and it's it's basically just Brian and Mike Love, and you know and a bunch of and Joe John Thomas. Bon Jovi, right? God, yeah. Bon Jovi is on one of these songs. Help me now. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's it's uh um for me it's I uh, it's as dutiful as. Uh, you know, I I have Orange Crate Art, the uh, record that uh, Van Dyke Parks and uh, and Brian Wilson collaborated on in the early aughts. I think I might be one of five people to have that record. Um, <laughs> so in some sense, it's like that. It's nice to hear their voices again. It's nice to hear uh, Brian uh, trying to write uh, inventive uh, uh, pop arrangements and harmonies. The song "That's Why God Made the Radio" is one of those kind of constantly key shifting bits. Uh, a lot of them do harken back including the title track uh that kind of in the sense of do it again is sort of looking backwards and trying to either recapture it or just be kind of pure nostalgia it's a little bit more appropriate when you're in your 70s or however old uh, they are uh they've decent amount of uh, sort of like environmentalist uh type of uh uh such in there like daybreak over the ocean um which I think is an Al Jardine joint might be Mike Love uh but uh, is not is not that bad uh it's worth giving it a listen. Um, nothing puts its hooks into you and keeps you there. But I said that as of a week ago about Carl and the Passions. So maybe uh, there's still left some some life left in the corpse. Uh, the one thing I'll mention is I, there's a I think there's a PBS special on this reunion tour around when when God made the radio. That's pretty decent. And there's also on YouTube there's a couple of tracks that Brian and Al did in a in a studio live in studio. Um, maybe two years ago. And you know what? They're still really good. They did Sloop John B, and they did... Um, I can't remember the other one they did. Maybe Actually, I think it was Wouldn't It Be Nice. And These guys still know how to sing. They, still, they, they can still sing, and you know, they, they, there's, they, there's some help. And I think Al's son uh, uh, does the Carl part in, in a lot of those songs, but they can, they can still sing, man. They still sound pretty good with the harmonies. The, uh, I, I, would, I would feel remiss if I didn't shout out to uh the guys in the wonderments uh which is yes. the uh, yeah. la la pop rock band we hung in similar circles when i moved to la in the late 90s it was kind of a uh, uh a pop resurgence among the alt rock kids um and they were one of the best in there jason faulkner's also kind of comes from out of that um and a lot of these acts were um adhering themselves to old forgotten greats uh, including Arthur Lee from Love uh, had a little backup band for a while and he un unfortunately died right as he was making a comeback um, but the Wonderments go out and see a documentary and I don't know what it's called but it's probably 
basically it's about the remaking of Smile. It's the build up to its first live debut, which happened in London. Um, and it's uh, basically the Wonderments and uh, and Brian's touring band performing at Van Dyke Parks is kind of collapsing uh, uh, on his own chair with emotion watching this uh, from the rafters. The first time this thing is being performed live, if you can imagine it, Paul McCartney is there. It's a pretty amazing documentary. And those guys come off as absolute heroes because Brian's not always there. Mm -hmm. They come in. They like, all right, Brian, uh, we've worked up our prayer. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. So we studied the studio tapes uh, and we got the seven part harmonies. Correct. And so they're they're belting out the seven part harmonies and he's got kind of like his eyes closed uh, and he's listening. And uh, and then they're done and they're kind of looking at him anxiously. And like, what do you think? And he's like. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel too good right now. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, imagine how difficult that must be. Uh, and yet they they perform and he ends up performing with uh, great spirit uh, and and energy and definitely tapped into what uh, uh, he thought he remembered or what he remembered of the original inspiration uh, for the music. It's it's great. It's a very rewarding type of thing. And those guys are really good, really absurdly good musicians. And I think even some of them, when the Beach Boys went back on tour for the, the That's Why God Made the Radio um, tour before Mike Love fired <laughs> Brian Wilson from the band. Yeah. <laughs> Smart move, Mike. Because that's what they do. Uh, and like defended it. Uh, but some of the Wonderman's guys were are out there like uh, singing the Carl parts and also propping up uh, Brian's vocals as well. Just it's it's a, a very sweet gesture and musically difficult as hell. It's some of the most complicated uh, musicianship and especially vocal harmonies, as you can imagine, trying to do that live. So shout out Wonderman's dudes. Uh, you did a solid. Yeah. Labor of love. Just kind of like these shows have been for me, you know, true labor of love. I guess that wraps up the Beach Boys, if you can believe it. Uh, the uh, political elites look at the Beach Boys. And we now get to the part that uh, we choose two albums and five songs from this era of the Beach Boys. Gentlemen, I have no idea how to do Good this. Good luck. Uh, yeah, this I mean, is going to suck. How in the world are you supposed to do this? But that's the challenge that we face. Uh, we turn over first to our guest, Matt Welch, former editor-in-chief, current editor-at-large at Reason, and the Fifth Column podcast. Uh, find them at wethefifth.com. Matt Two albums, five songs, if you can. I can. Uh, I'll take Sunflower and Holland. Um, great snapshots of a still productive band, in some cases doing Brian Wilson impersonations, uh, still in pretty good uh, 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 vocal throat, but also becoming more mature. Uh, and in the case of Holland, with this great like rhythm section coming on and, and singing and adding uh, new flavors to it. Uh, some of their best individual songs uh, on these uh, two, uh, two records uh, songs uh, from uh, Carl and the passions. Hold on dear brother, just super moving uh, the traitor uh, from Holland. Uh, there's a reason why uh, strange people like that song uh, <laughs> till I die. Um, I don't know which. I think actually someone mixed the Steve Desper marimba mix with the original mix so that because there's a problem with the vocals on the Desper mix. And now that one exists somewhere on the Internet. That might be my favorite one. Uh, Just uh, uh, heartbreaking musicianship Uh, forever. Uh, the great John Stamos original. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's gorgeous and uh, and surfs up. Uh, they, uh, uh, unlike Jeff, I have no idea what he's talking about. And don't really care. Um, the uh, the the final like bit of the uh, 
pre wall of vocals, the children sigh and the and the harmonies that wash in over there, the 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 longing and desperation right there of that harmony stack as it comes at you. Um I still can't wrap my head around it it hits me in a pre-rational place uh my two albums uh, will be totally different from uh from uh from matt so i think that's all right 2020 and uh, and surfs up and the five songs again I, I have no idea how you how you do this i just sort of flip through all my notes and uh these uh it's so diverse i mean it's such yeah. a sprawling era right so from carl and the passions you need a mess of help to stand alone uh i think is an excellent look at what they were doing at that point and uh, a good brian contribution for that time from surf's up i take two i think feel flows and till i die uh from from surf's up off of 2020 time to uh, to get alone uh, a real minor kind of kind of masterpiece from uh, from that era from Brian and then the last spot I mean I I, I don't know um wild honey I, I think the the title track from wild honey will be my my fifth song uh Jeff over to you well I guess I'm gonna go with two of the best songs that you two of the best albums rather that you've probably never heard in your life and the first one is wild honey which is 24 minutes long uh, before you you know it you you, you got up you, you poured yourself a drink you made yourself something to eat oops the album's over that's what i love about beach boys albums they get in they get out there isn't a wasted second on wild honey i love its lo-fi sensibility i love its devil may care sensibility i love that detuned piano please go listen to wild honey and i guess i would have to say the same thing about sunflower an album they had to come back around to like i think four times three separate passes through it the fourth was the one that was finally uh, accepted by the the label even if it didn't sell it should have uh people you gotta hear sunflower those are two great albums surf's up is also a great one love you is a great one but if i have to pick two from this era it's wild honey and sunflower i guess i you can't really pick smile because smile didn't come out right as for the songs that i'm gonna choose uh I will be picking some Smile songs. The first one, of course, is going to be Wonderful, which I still consider to be the best melody that Brian Wilson ever wrote. Probably the best lyric, second best lyric that Van Dyke Parks ever wrote. Uh, the second one I'll pick is Cabinescence, uh, also off of the Smile Sessions, but of course it, it came out on 2020, so you can find it there too. Um, yeah, I, I love the the Americana trip. I think it kind of embodies the, the full ambition of Smile, at least as far as brian wilson and van dyke parks were able to able to unravel it before getting hopelessly confused in one song you can find it on cabin essence um i'd love just once to see you one of those small little weirdo cameos that brian wilson does off of uh wild honey and i'd love just once to see you in the nude forever uh, just like Matt, I love Forever uh, off of Sunflower. It's a beautiful song, and I'm I'm so sorry that John Stamos has ruined <laughs> it for all of us. Uh, I guess uh, my fifth song will probably be Sail on Sailor from Holland. Uh, just uh, another album, deeply underrated, you know, forgotten, didn't sell. Go listen to Sail on Sailor. It, it has a beach boy who you didn't even realize was a beach boy, a yeah. South African, singing an incredibly kick-ass vocal with an incredibly good song that Brian just parachuted in out of nowhere to help write for the band. And again, artist prerogative, I'm going to pick a sixth song, and I'm going to agree with what Matt said about Surf's Up. That would be the other one that I would choose. I think Surf's Up is the best lyric that Van Dyke Parks ever wrote. And just like Matt, that's that final moment where – 
he comes in and uh, you know he says you know I heard the word surfs up mm, aboard a tidal wave come about hard and join the young and often spring you gave I heard a word wonderful thing a children's song child is father to the man and uh, again death rebirth a lot of very heady and weighty concepts summarized in, in one very beautiful bizarre and truly singular song uh, that only Brian Wilson could have ever written Surf's up, board a tidal wave. Come about hard and join the young and often spring you gave. I heard the word, wonderful thing, a children's Political Beats look at the career of the Beach Boys. We thank Matt Welch for his extended time with us. Find him on Twitter at Matt Welch. Find him at Reason as well. And the Fifth Column podcast at We the Fifth on Twitter, We the Fifth.com. Matt, thank you so much for adding so much to the Beach Boys podcast. Just trying to add some music to my day, man. <laughs> That's Sunday morning gospel. Yes. Uh, Jeff Blair, I know this is when uh, this is one of your, your 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 key core artists to do on the show, so I hope we hey, did him justice. We, we caught the white whale. Yeah. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. My name is Scott Bertram on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed. New episodes right to you. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, NationalReview.com. Click on podcasts and listen and leave those reviews. Share them too with your friends neighbors loved ones even enemies we don't care we're on twitter at political underscore beats this has been a presentation of national review this is political beats